You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 443. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 16th of September, 2020. In today's episode, all the instruments go dark during a flight over Indonesia. A truck hits a small plane that's making an emergency highway landing in Florida. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, it's not what you say. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 443 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an Emmy Award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City! And welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy show, ladies and gentlemen. It's an aviation podcast where we cover the latest in aviation news and answer your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a captain at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Well, good evening, Jeff. Lovely to be back on the show again. Uh, And uh, there seem to be only like two windows working. One for you, one for me. What's going on? Oh, here, let me see if we can find anybody. Nope. It, it looks it? like it's just you and you and me. Oh, okay. Well, uh, the hairy ones have taken over the world. Yes, the uh, the only ones with appreciable amounts of uh, facial hair. True. Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. So, uh, before we get caught up on what everybody's been doing, let's uh, first go to some news. Stand by for news. All right, let's start with B, a uh, Wings AT-72 or an ATR-72-212 Alpha at Ambon, which is um, in Indonesia, was flying from Ambon to Babo with 49 passengers and three crew. Do you like my Indonesian accent? Yeah, I think you're making it up. <laughs> I am. Was in the initial climb out of Ambon Patamura Airport's runway 22, just uh, when just after becoming airborne, all display units, standby instruments, communication, and multifunction control display unit failed. All of it. Yeah. 
The landing gear not, lever. Not a good day. No. Landing gear lever could not be retracted. Climbing through about 2,000 feet, the display units one and three partially recovered, showing speed and uh, altitude indications again. And at about 3,000 feet, communication and remaining display units intermittently recovered and the landing gear retracted. <laughs> they put their landing gear lever up and then finally he goes, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. We'll put the gear up. Uh, you sure it wasn't doing a Microsoft update or something? It might have been. <laughs> so I'm thinking uh, if this were instrument meteorological conditions, I believe we would be reading about the accident and terrible tragic crash of this flight. Uh, however, well, we could easily be, yeah, without any instruments at all. You know, what are you going to do? There's which nothing. Way is up. Right. Uh, thankfully the weather was not quite as bad. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't IMC apparently. Uh, and they were able to, um, maintain, you know, reference to the, uh, cues outside to keep the airplane flying straight and, uh, level and climbing all that kind of stuff. The aircraft stopped the climb at 4,000 feet position for a return to runway four about 30 minutes after departure, but went around and entered a hold at 7,000 feet. The aircraft subsequently landed back on runway four about one hour, 50 minutes past departure. Indonesia's KNKT, which I guess is their investigatory agency, rated the occurrence a serious incident. Yeah, opened an investigation. There were no injuries and the aircraft sustained minor damage. Doesn't really say how that I can recall. Uh, let's see. Then they go into a little bit more detail. By the way, this is from the Aviation Herald. <clears throat> Excuse me, Aviation Herald. Uh, let's see. The weather during the situation was raining, and the ground visibility was six kilometers. So, it, you know, wasn't no, not great weather. Then. No, not great. Um, let's see. The starting process of the engines was normal when the aircraft taxied and lined up for runway two two. The aircraft took off, and after airborne, the pilot verified the idle gate lever engaged. I don't know what that is. Something to do with props, I guess. Suddenly, all five display units and the integrated electronics standby instrument, i.e. SI, went blank, and the VHF radios were off. Uh, the pilot glanced to the overhead panel and saw several lights illuminated, consisting of the shed light on the DC service utility bus the available light on the external power push buttons. <laughs> they were still plugged into That's external the problem. Power. They were still yeah, plugged into the... Yeah, they a great big generator <laughs> along with them. Uh, we're just kidding, of course. Um, pack lavatory detection and engine boost. Oh, hey, we have a lavatory. We detected yeah. it. Uh, weather during the situation... Okay, we just talked about that. The pilot did not have flight instruments as reference for flight. Therefore, the pilot flew visually. Uh, about one minute. Good. Yeah. So anyway, everything came back and let's see, why is it that they ended up holding for a while? Did they run some checklist or something? Is that the deal? Um, hmm. Oh, I think he was waiting for the weather to improve a bit before they came in for their landing. Yeah. Well, that's sensible. Yeah, if he's, sensible. if he can't rely on his attitude indicators, and other instruments, yeah, you really need visual reference. Yeah, so that was smart. Um, so, you know, you'd think that, uh, was this the airplane that was kind of um, pretty new, or was that another one, Liz? Uh, let's see. Oh, August 4th, 2017. Yeah, so it's 
relatively new airplane. Um, not sure exactly what happened there. Some kind of an electrical weirdness, apparently. Yeah, uh, I mean, a supply problem. Uh, but the thing that really concerns me is if you get a supply problem to your main instrument panels, uh, EFIS or whatever type of aircraft uh, you're in, you would expect perhaps to lose some. But the one thing that should you should always be able to rely on is your standby instruments. They, mm -hmm. they should be from a completely separate power source, uh, often uh, just connected almost directly to the battery, so that regardless of what else you've lost, you've got something to go on mm -hmm. to help you fly the airplane. Um, the fact that he lost his standby instruments as well uh, makes me seriously concerned about the architecture of the electrical system of, of this aircraft. Mm -hmm. uh, if they find a fault that manages to take out so many buzzes that or buses that uh, they also lose their standby instruments, that for me is a major concern. Yeah. Now I'm wondering if, if that was something about the way the electrical system was designed and manufactured or maybe – there was some kind of maintenance uh, done to the airplane and they didn't connect all the bits and bobs correctly. I don't know. I, I guess I'm going to try to find uh, out. The aircraft should be self-capable on the ground before they get airborne. If something is yeah. incorrectly rooted of self-diagnosing an electrical problem, uh, the, if they wouldn't have got airborne if they had known that they had a, a major potential problem right. with their instruments, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, this is just, you know, it happens. Uh, I know Airbus have had some problems in the past uh, with unexpected uh, glitches, which have taken out all the display units. But never have I heard of an Airbus having a problem with the standby instruments simultaneously. Right. That, that is just nightmare scenario. That is not really. supposed to happen. No. Ever. But it did, apparently, in this case. And uh, yeah. thankfully, the weather was good enough for them to maintain control of the aircraft. And thankfully, we had some pilots who had enough skill to be able to continue to fly the airplane, even in relatively poor visibility with rain around, which meant the horizon, the visual horizon, would have been indistinct. They managed to uh, interpret what was happening to the aircraft and their themselves and not get fooled and not get in a situation where they lost control. So fantastic. As opposed to the two pilots that we talked about on the last episode that were flying yes. the 737 and they didn't have an yeah. autopilot and they, they could hardly keep the aircraft under control. Exactly. And they had all their instruments. I know that really is a worry. So. Very, very worrying. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, sp speaking of designs, we had talked about a couple of incidents in the past and the fix for it uh, regarding the uh, Airbus A350 cockpit center console engine. Um, what management computer or whatever that thing is yeah, in those control unit, whatever control it unit. and then they because pilot these pesky pilots were using the center console apparently as a cup holder because the cup holders that that airbus designed for it were too small or something i don't know yeah that's a pretty weak excuse i know if you ask me but yeah anyway they came up with a, a an interim fix which was uh something to design to cover up that area so that it was more water slash coffee resistant um, but uh, apparently the engineers were at work hard at work um since the uh, makeshift um 
solution uh, to come up with a permanent solution, uh, which is a redesign of the uh, center control panel. And uh, let's see, uh, try to find the place in the article here to ex to kind of describe the thing. They have introduced a removable spill-proof cover for... No, that was the interim solution. Never mind. Uh, oh, well, I guess I just that. completely designed the panel in question to be uh, liquid uh, resistant. Resistant. Yeah. It's not going to be waterproof, uh, but I mean, just like uh, a rubber film over your uh, laptop. Uh, you know, it'll probably defeat most accidental spills, but if you chug a lug, a whole um, flask full of coffee over it, it's probably, yeah, it's probably still going to have some problems. <laughs> but yeah, uh, none of these, none of this equipment is really meant to be exposed to large volumes of liquid. Um, and you would expect any electrical um, component to have a problem if you douse it in in uh, coffee. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I was surprised that um, something as vital as the engine controls could be so easily shorted out because that's one very quick way to lose your engines. And uh, when you've only got two of them and they're your way of staying airborne, that's not good. Maybe they should so, put them like on the overhead panel or something. Where, I think unless always, you're throwing your that's very sexy having <laughs> throttles up here. I yeah. Mean, well, I mean, I like don't mean the, the throttles, but like the uh, the little, you know, the engine start switches and yeah, fuel. Yeah, not a bad idea, actually. Yeah. Except, you know, they, they that's what traditionally the center console has always had your yeah. engine controls there. So hmm. it would confuse a lot of pilots, I suspect. But Probably nah, so. I think it's uh, I, it's very hard to splash coffee up on the ceiling unless yeah, you're you upside to, down. Yeah, it's quite an effort. Like if you get yeah, in a so, big bump. Yeah, it's oh. not, not such a bad idea. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I expected them to come out with some fix because it's very embarrassing that their, um, you know, their, their sort of premier aircraft, the 350, uh, suffered, you know, or could mm -hmm. potentially have suffered double engine failures from a coffee spill on the center console. Yeah, it is embarrassing. It's not good. But having said that, all you need is a bit of discipline on the flight deck, and it would never have been an issue. Discipline on the flight deck. Come on. <laughs> it says uh, the last paragraph here. It is likely that the European Union Aviation Safety Agency will issue an airworthiness directive mandating A350 operators to install the new panel. I wonder if that's something that the operators are going to have to pay for or if Airbus is going to pay I for it. I would have thought they, they might have to pay for it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who's responsible for that, but uh, Airbus may cover some of the costs. Or... Yeah. Well, it's good to know that they have come up with a, a solution, a permanent solution. Yeah, I expected it to happen. That uh, that sort of interim uh, splash uh, cover was just like a bit embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And you also needed just as much discipline to make sure you put that on the correct place when you needed to, as you did not put bringing cups and putting cups on the center console. I yeah, think. I can see like putting the, trying to fit the thing on and go, whoops, I just... Shut down both engines. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Apparently, that has not happened yet. So, you I'm know. Very glad. By the way, I love the away. picture. Yeah. Who the hell ever wears their jacket and hat on the flight deck when they're flying? Apparently, these two do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I, I mean, don't they look dorky? Yes. I mean, yeah. well, at least they don't have their 
um, headsets over the top of their hats. <laughs> well, I, that's kind of cool. I used to like, you know, that, that, that reminds me of John Wayne in his, oh, yeah. in his C-47 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, these guys definitely, no, def, no, take your hats off, guys. Take your jackets <laughs> off. Look like pilots. They uh, Are these like Airbus uh, pilots or something? I mean, like I, Airbus company? Pilots? I don't know because I I think most of the Airbus certainly the Airbus uh, test pilots fly in civvies, so yeah, uh, wouldn't have thought so. Yeah, it looks really kind of dumb what they're doing here. Anyway, check out the show notes if you want to know what we're talking about. This one, Nick, has got me scratching me head. A um, Pakistan International Airlines Avions de Transport Regional. Uh, or otherwise known You've as an been a- practicing that my computer actually just kind of balked at me and thought said no uh atr 42-500 registration alpha papa bravo hotel oscar Haven't we just had an atr 42 we did it was an atr oh, okay. 72 this one's a 42 so oh, okay it's 30 less um <laughs> performing flight pk661 from chitral to islamabad in Pakistan, with 42 passengers and six crew, reported the failure of the left-hand engine, which was a Pratt & Whitney 127E. The crew shut the engine down and continued towards uh, Islamabad, descending. Sometime later, declared Mayday. Shortly afterwards, radio and radar contact was lost with the aircraft at about 16.16 16 local time. Residents in Havalian, near Abbottabad, Pakistan heard sounds consistent with an impact. The crash site was located at that position about 25 nautical miles north of Islamabad. The wreckage was ablaze with a plume of smoke over the crash site. All occupants of the aircraft perished in the crash. The airline re- uh, reported contact with 661 had been lost. All resources have been mobilized to locate the aircraft. Uh, let's see. So later that evening, the airline confirmed that it did indeed crash near Havalian. Um Let's see. On the evening of December 7th, the airline reported in a press conference that the Let's see. When did this happen? Back in uh, December 7th, 2016. So several years ago. So this must be the final report that we're going to be looking at here. Uh, okay. The investigation is towards a concluding stage. However, some important findings of technical nature require immediate attention slash intervention. These are as follows. A. Sequence of events was initiated with dislodging of one blade of power turbine stage one inside engine number one, left side engine, due to fatigue. This dislodging of one blade resulted in in in-flight engine shutdown and it contributed towards erratic, abnormal behavior of number one propeller. Okay. According to a service bulletin, these turbine blades were to be changed after completion of 10,000 hours on immediate next maintenance opportunity. The said engine was under maintenance on 11 November 2016. At that time, these blades had completed 10,004.1 hours. This activity should have been undertaken at the time, but it was missed out by the concerned. So in other words, they were supposed to do something there, uh, changing the turbine blades, but they didn't. Uh, The aircraft flew approximately 93 hours after the said maintenance activity before it crashed on the 7th of December 2016. Missing out of such an activity highlights a lapse on the part of 
Um, the Pakistan International Airlines maintenance and quality assurance, as well as possible inadequacy, lack of oversight uh, by the company. Or I don't know what, what's PCAA? Is that a governmental? Maybe that's the know. regulator I, I there. I don't know that. Okay. Sorry. Uh, the, the Pakistani Civil Aviation Authority. Thank you, Liz. On September 8th, 2020, that's what we're talking about it, um, recently, Pakistan's Supreme Court instructed Pakistan's Air Accidents Investigation Branch to submit the final investigation report by October 15th at the latest. On September 11th, Pakistan's parliament was informed that the accident was caused by technical factors and was not caused by human error. Okay, that's not really giving us a lot of information here. Um, So apparently uh, there was an issue with the number one, the left engine, Um, but it must have been something so severe regarding what the propeller was doing that even with a operating engine on the right side, they still weren't able to keep control of the airplane and they crashed, uh, which is again, kind of a, for me, kind of a head scratcher. And also the whole, this whole activity regarding the Supreme court of Pakistan and the parliament, I mean, the government and politics are getting involved with this. I don't know. Something just doesn't sound (laughs) normal. No, uh, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, a, a safety board should be able to work completely independent of uh, governments and um, courts, etc. Um, they're purely there to find out the facts of the uh, um, accident and make appropriate recommendations. Uh, you know, they shouldn't be concerned in any way about, uh, you know, governments and who might get embarrassed by this. I quite agree, uh, Jeff. Uh, the loss of an engine um, should be, I won't say it's an everyday occurrence, but it certainly occurs most days of the week all around the world somewhere. Someone's going to lose an engine on a multi-engine airplane, and it should not lead to the loss, particularly on a, a certified passenger-carrying aircraft. Um, so the fact that the engine lost a blade well yeah engines do lose blades even before they reach their life limit and having said that this i don't know if the english is exactly perfectly well translated here but these blades were to be changed after completion of 10,000 hours on immediate next maintenance or opportunity if it had done 10,004 hours uh, you know it, the next major or the next maintenance opportunity might have been even further, it might have been 10,100, you know, 10,050 hours or whatever. Um, so uh, it should have had s- some life left in those blades. It should, shouldn't, it wasn't like 10,000 hours, boom, all the blades fall off. That should not happen. There should be a, a little factor in there that allows a little bit of uh, movement one way or the other. So, I, but having said that, the loss of the blade should not have caused, uh, well, well, obviously caused the engine problem, should not have caused the crash. What happened to the prop, I don't know. And and it has no explanation. But obviously if the prop did something and it wouldn't feather or created a huge amount of drag, went into reverse, did something completely wacky, then that, yes, you're quite right, could lead, lead to the cause. Um, so they haven't really answered anything as far as I can see. They've said, yeah, we know why the engine failed. Well, that probably would have been pretty apparent from 
very early on in the investigation. The rest of this is, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's it's doesn't it's not helpful. It doesn't explain to me why the aircraft crashed. We do know that in a lot of countries, such as Pakistan and other you know countries of that size um, and sophistication, uh, sometimes take it seems forever to come up with these accident investigations or finalize them. Uh, but this you know seems a little excessive. It was four years ago, or coming up on four years, and perhaps that's why the Supreme Court and Parliament got involved and basically said to the safety agency, you need to get this wrapped up. I'm wondering if there's something that happened in this incident that people are trying to cover up. Uh, so You, you may well be right, which in itself would be a concern because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we rely on accident investigations to be completely impartial and to be completely truthful. Otherwise, We've got a major flaw in the way we examine accidents, and we know that flight safety is based a huge amount on errors and failures and things, and we always look at them very closely to ensure that we can apply those lessons uh, into the next uh, stage or to modify aircraft that are currently flying so that they don't happen again. Exactly. Well, we'll keep our ear to the ground, so to speak, and see if we hear anything else about this Uh in the coming months. Okay. Uh, let's go look at this next one here. Um, I think that, um, was this the one that you were going to cover Nick, or were you going to do the next one? Oh, it's the one after. Okay. Then uh, I'll jump into this one here. Um, this was another incident again from the, uh, this is aviation safety.net. We're getting this particular information from, it was a viewing flight um i believe that's a spanish airline um flight 1431 they're pretty common around europe they're quite a big outfit okay uh let's see they were operating an airbus a320 200 they suffered the detachment of the two fan cowls of the number one left engine uh iae v2527-a5 engine uh, when taking off from runway 12 at Bilbao Airport in Spain, or Bilbao, I don't know. Yeah, and doing the second right? one sounded better. Okay. The aircraft was making the first flight of the day from Bilbao to Barcelona, or Barcelona, with a total of 120 persons on board. On this flight, the first officer was the pilot flying, and the captain was the pilot monitoring. At the moment of rotation, the crew heard a different sound than usual, and seconds after takeoff, an ECAM... LGCIU2 fault message was received. I have no idea. Uh, let me means. see. Uh, I'm going to try and drag that up. Landing okay. gear computer interface unit number two. Wow. Very I good. I think that's Makes sense approximately to that. The crew carried out the relevant procedure. And after analyzing the situation, they decided to continue the flight to Barcelona where they landed normally at 7.54 local time on runway 25 right. Once on the ground, the crew started receiving multiple ECAM messages. They continued taxiing to parking where the passengers disembarked normally. It was then that they were informed that both fan cowls had detached from the left engine. Fragments from the cowls were found embedded in the left leg of the main landing gear. Probably hence the ECAM LGCIU2 fault. Almost certainly it damaged some wiring. Uh, some systems that were there, sensors, whatever. Yeah. Aircraft sustained minor damage caused when the fan cowls impacted various parts of the airplane structure. 
uh, on the night of 24-25 October, so before this flight, maintenance work had been performed that required opening and closing the fan cowls on the airplane's left engine. And uh, let's see, the investigation has determined that the incident was caused by flying the airplane without closing and properly latching the cowls, which was in turn caused by improper maintenance operation and by the incorrect performance of the walk-around check prior to the flight. Uh, so, you know, this is not the first time on the APG that we've talked about incidents regarding, especially this particular engine and engine cowling uh, on Air, mostly Airbus 320s uh, that I recall, because the um, uh, Delta Airlines uh, used to operate the MD-90 with uh, this, basically the same engine, but it was a little bit a different variant because it was mounted on the tail, the fuselage near the tail and not on the wings. So uh, I don't recall any incidents, you know, regarding the MD-90 with these particular engines, but I do recall several. In fact, the, uh, here in the uh, report, the incident was one in over 40 fan cowl loss events involving Airbus A320 families since uh, 1992. Now, I'm not sure if every single one of those was the uh, IAE V2527 engine. Some of them may have been the CFM56. Um, but uh, let's see, an IASA AD 2016-53 mandated the installation of a foul Foul, a fan cowl or foul pin <laughs> and flag by 28 March 2019. This AD had not yet been implemented on this particular airplane. Well, I don't know exactly the fan cowl pin they're referring to. There, there is a pin uh, that is uh, magnetic that should be retracted when all the fan cowl latches have been secured. Uh, but it had a tendency because it was managed to bounce, to drop down. Uh, so because, it, you know, guys got used to seeing it down when or actually all the latches were made, um, I think they tended to ignore it perhaps, or perhaps they just were being lazy and just didn't look. Um, to be fair, the 320, uh, you know, it's an airplane that sits relatively close to the ground. Uh, you can't stroll underneath the fuselage like we could on the 330s and the 340s. Um, and you really do have to, like, get down on a knee uh, and peer under the engine to oh, see. Oh, you can't the, do that. You might get mess up your the knee yeah, of your, of you your trousers. You might get oil on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm sorry, it's it's just part and parcel of your job. Uh, you know, yeah. we don't like to think we're, we're fancy airline pilots and we don't uh, have to get our hands grabby. But, uh, you know, we are the last link in the chain that checks this stuff yep. because uh, we we do, to a certain extent, rely on the uh, engineer that did it, the uh, other engineer that is supposed to check that the job's been done properly, uh, and the walk-around engineer to make sure that everything has been done. But the last check is the pilot who, you know, in, in our airline, we used to take it 50-50 between the captain and the first officer. And when it was my turn to go around, I took a knee and I peered under the engines. And I wasn't just looking for this silly pin. Uh, and even perhaps this AD was for an improved pin, or perhaps it was just to have it installed. But no, you can actually see if the latches haven't been pushed to. I mean, it's not obvious. It's not like they're sticking out six inches in the wrong direction, but you you can see that they're they're, they're not flush. Uh, and 
you know, if that's your job, that's your job. You do it. I don't care whether it's wet, snow, you have a torch, if it's dark, whatever. I'm sorry. You just get down there and do it. And if you don't, then you're you're not doing your job properly. The buck stops with us. Exactly. Yep. A lot of things you can't check. I mean, there are going to be doors open. There's going to be hatches still being worked on when when you do your walk around. But you do your best. You just take a good look around and make sure you think the airplane is going to be fit to fly when it comes to it. And you try not to get too distracted by something and then, you know, miss something. That's always been my fear, you know, like out there in the walk around and like missing something obvious, like a panel latch or something that, you know, yeah, wasn't very much latched so. properly. Yeah. Okay. You also look for things, especially if you're flying it after somebody else has flown it, that they did wrong, like scraping a tail skid or <laughs> yes, reverse your so, buckets or something so like they, that, because you don't want so to they, take the blame for it. No, exactly right. If, <laughs> I always had a look at the engine uh, cows and the wingtips to make sure no one had scraped yeah. one, and there was grass sticking out of mm-hmm. something. <laughs> yeah, because if you miss it, then they're going to say, well, Captain well, Nick, looks yeah. like you're the one that did it. No, I wasn't. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, let's uh, finally move on to this uh, re- uh, regarding the uh, Etihad A320, again, from Aviation Herald. And I'm going to hand this over. Uh, I'm going to exchange transfer aircraft control to Captain Nick. You have the airplane. Uh, thank you very much, sir. I have control. Uh, the registration was uh, Alpha 6 Echo India Tank, and he was uh, performing a flight uh, EY-250 from Abu Dhabi to uh, Codicode. Uh, and if uh, you're not sure where that is because of my poor pronunciation, uh, it's also known as Calicut, which is a lot easier to understand. It is, yeah. Uh, in India. Uh, 116 passengers, fair number, and eight crew. Uh, and they're on their second ILS approach to uh, Codacode's runway 28. Uh, when the aircraft crossed the runway threshold, aligned with the runway centerline, but subsequently drifted to the right, touched down to the right of the runway centerline. Subsequently, the right main gear went beyond the runway edge uh, and contacted and damaged five runway edge lights for which the captain was charged $347 each. So times five, that's that's a bit of money. Um, uh, and the crew received a low a tire, low pressure indication uh, before they steered the aircraft back onto the runway centerline. No injuries. The aircraft received damage to the two right-hand main tires. Five runway edge lights were damaged. So the report on this is quite interesting. Um, so Now, wait a minute. About- You're, were you joking about the $347 for each light? Uh, yeah, I think they're much more expensive. <laughs> I, was <gonna> I, was, <laughs> I was looking through the narrative here and going, where is he seeing that? Oh, he must be joking. I'm, I'm <laughs> okay. sorry, everybody. Um, so after crossing the threshold, the aircraft drift to the right side of the runway uh, due to a slight but continuous roll input to the right. So the pilot was actually, perhaps unconsciously, uh, maneuvering the aircraft uh, in that direction. Uh, the aircraft touched down almost at the runway edge line. So he might have lined himself up, but 
actually in the flare and the subsequent like, drift, he drifted to the right and touched down right on the edge. This was in, followed by an increase in lateral deviation towards the runway edge due to ineffective flight control recovery technique. In my book, that's just, he he's not correcting an error that he should be able to perceive. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he's effectively going off the runway. Um, the factors contributing, they say, were the presence of moderate intensity rain showers over the runway, uh, affecting visibility. That is always a problem. But if it's um, designated to have sufficient visibility to allow you to do a visual approach or to continue beyond your minima to do a visual approach, then that is sufficient for you to be able to legally and you should be capable of landing in those conditions. The lack of runway centerline lighting. Always a bit of a problem. Uh, I was lucky enough to fly mainly to airports that had fantastic lighting, and uh, it was never a problem. But I know that if you only got edge lighting, uh, and Jeff's probably flown to airports which aren't as well equipped as some, uh, that I've been, I usually used to go to. Uh, it's and, and it, you know, particularly in the flare where you've got sort of 150 feet wide runway, those edge lights are a distance away from you, and because the visibility wasn't brilliant, you don't see them moving, uh, you know, away from you into infinity, or into the end of the runway where they would converge. So you perhaps don't get that in perspective that you're used to if you're landing in good visibility. Uh, the situational awareness of the commander, he was the pilot flying, uh, adversely affected by his expectation that the aircraft would remain aligned with the centerline until touchdown. Uh, yeah, well, we always hope the airplane will stay where we expect it to go, but there's no guarantee. You've got to monitor what the airplane's doing all the time. Um uh, so he, he overflew the center line at the threshold. So assuming it's going to continue on <laughs> the threshold, I'm sorry, is probably not the best. He's very idea. helpful. It is. Very, he's obviously a good chap. He's you know, very positive. Yeah. I've yeah. got it this far. It's, it's bound to kind of carry It always on. seems to work out. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, alignment deviation occurred because of the reduction in visibility over the threshold. Yeah, it won't have helped. Uh, that's for sure. And the lack of the satellite. Yeah, okay, we, we've done that. Um, the several unintentional roll inputs to the right applied during subconscious action. Um, okay, you shouldn't be putting subconscious control inputs in. Uh, you're the pilot. I mean, you're supposed to be conscious and in control of the airplane. Doing things subconsciously uh, is, in my mind, my book, an error. Since the pilot flying focused more on the aircraft pitch attitude during the flare and the reduction in the pilot flying situational awareness, uh, you should be capable of monitoring your angle of bank and your pitch all at the same time. What? Control inputs to realign the aircraft were not affirmative. All right. So he, having realized his error, he didn't make a positive input, it seems, uh, basically applying left rudder um, uh, with to correct the situation and they the impasse were made without an associated left roll so they're saying that he put a bit of rudder in but he didn't do anything to counteract the fact that he got 
right rolling. And let's not be confused with other types of airplane. When the Airbus is in the flare, you're in direct control. So that means that it's just like any other conventional airplane. The flight control computers do not massage any of your inputs. If you want to roll the airplane, uh, apply aileron, you move the stick to the side. If you want to pitch the airplane, you move it up and down. That's um, all you. And it goes, yeah, it's accelerate. It's all on you. There's nothing in between you and the controls in the flare and landing. Um, the recovery action to take the aircraft back to the center line uh, was relatively late due to high workload. Well, I'm sorry, there's only one job you have at that moment <laughs> in time, and that's landing the airplane. Yeah, um, I don't know what they were talking about there. High workload. It's the same workload no, we always have when we're landing an airplane. Of, <laughs> yes, right. I'd be waving my little bullshit flag now if I was. If <laughs> exactly. I had it. Yeah. Um, despite his awareness of the deviation of the right, the co pilot's pilot monitoring did not intervene. Uh, uh, to attract the attention. Okay, that, that is actually quite an important point, but it's not the real reason for the deviation. The pilot monitoring is supposed to bring to attention um, whether the guy, because they've already said he was a bit maxed out, high workload, have taken on board what he was being told and actioned it, I don't know. But yeah, the pilot monitoring is supposed to say something if you're deviating that much. Uh, so not in a compliance with standing operating procedures. That's just one way to bring someone else into the blame circle, I think. Yep. Um, the guy had lots of experience, um, over 15,000 hours, uh, 12, nearly 13,000 hours on type, and nearly 9,000 hours in command. So experienced chap. I, I'm I'm wondering whether fatigue might have had a place here or another human factor that we're not aware of because someone with that level of experience, you would not expect to make this type of uh, mistake. Uh, he'd initiated to go around on the first ILS because of uh, concerns due to the heavy rain. He was a bit worried the runway might uh, be extremely wet and might lead to hydroplaning. So, yeah, that's a very good airmanship decision. Uh, and he positioned uh, some 16 minutes later for another ILS, which led to this this problem. Uh, and um, the uh, analysis showed that the first approach to the Gleistrope um, deviation as well as the localized deviations so it showed uh, perturbations um, which is not a common use of that adjective uh, so I'm not quite sure why they've they've put it in there uh, but there you go to show um, how smart they are I, I think so <laughs> um, so we we've discussed the first one I'm just quickly looking on I, I I noted that there was only five knots of wind. Yeah, uh, at not the a lot time of, of the landing. So, it, regardless of the fact that it was swinging a bit, uh, that's not going to have a significant effect. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, there's no real indication. Uh, this is actually quite a long uh, and involved um, report, but there's no real indication to me what the reason for the captain's um, lack of skill that night. I don't know. Uh, do you get anything more out of that, Jeff? No, not at all. I mean, I think you covered it well. Interestingly, uh, since the CVR recording of the incident flight was not available to the investigation, Interesting. why was it I not always, available? <laughs> I always, that's it. That's sort of the flag. I yeah, it is a flag. Think it, about raising whenever they can't get a CVR out of the. 
Across like a, it was not uh, possible really? to determine whether all required briefings, checklists, tasks, sharing, and verbal announcements, including system callouts, took place. So, hmm, that's a shame. Yeah. But there you go. Yeah. Uh, we're very conscious that, uh, you know, the landing phase uh, is the phase when, particularly when it's poor weather on a wet runway, when you get the most common type of aircraft accident that we're currently getting, uh, which is uh, runway excursions. Uh, and they can be very serious. So I suspect that uh, you know, that's the reason this is receiving a lot of attention. Uh, the fact that he became came very close to a, a runway excursion. Mm -hmm. He didn't, though. He just, uh, uh, if he hadn't clobbered the lights, I wonder whether this would even have been here. Probably not. Probably not, which is a shame because, uh, I don't know, this particular, uh, which outfit was it? Uh, um, Etihad. Etihad. Yeah. Oh, well, I would expect Etihad to have the system that we had in our airline, whereas, uh, you know, any deviations, excessive deviations that were detected from the flight data recorder, which was downloaded after every flight, would be flagged up. Uh, and um, it was done anonymously in air airline just to show uh, pilot trends. So if the, the pilots were starting to do something strange, but if it was considered bad enough, then uh, through a, a guardian, um, the pilot involved would be encouraged to write an air safety report and come clean, which is, in my mind, always the best thing to do. So even if he hadn't clobbered the lights and been forced to uh, face a, an inquiry, I think it would have been something he should have highlighted anyway. Yep. For hey, sure. Jeff, some late-breaking news from the Facebook chat room. Uh, late-breaking news from the Facebook chat room. On the screen. Chat on, room the screen. on the screen. Hey, guys, I passed my commercial check ride. Well, whoa-ho, this is from Ethan Allen. Uh, manufacturer of some really nice traditional uh, furniture here in the United States. Uh, so where is the applause? Here we go. Yay. Wow. Ethan Allen. Excellent. Congratulations. That's fantastic news. Congratulations. All right. I wonder what Ethan was flying. Um, I don't know, Ethan. What were you flying? I'm guessing an airplane. Uh, could have been could have oh been oh my god could have that's been, why you're the boss i know liz says oh my gosh that's why you're the boss <laughs> <laughs> that's a sheer brain power uh i'm not sure let's see um yeah we're waiting for his response but ethan uh, are you uh, doing this uh with a view to making money from your flying i can't see many other reasons for doing a commercial well i don't know other would, than uh, just the satisfaction of the fact that you'd achieved the same standard mm -hmm. that you would need to be a full-blown commercial pilot, which is always very satisfying. I know that yep. for a fact. Well, it looks like Ethan may have uh, just uh, come in and left. Oh, well. Maybe if he's listening to this after the fact, uh, he can he can send us a little bit of feedback and tell us all about his checkride experience and what his uh, future plans are absolutely that'd be great all right so let me go over here and uh, make this official it's the getting to know us segment of the show Ta -da. 
That is a nice drink you've got there, Jeff. What is that? It is. It was a wonderful um, gin-based drink on our little fee, uh, field trip to um, Bombay Sapphire Brewery, or distillery, I guess. In uh, yeah. what, what, What's um, the actual town it's in? Somewhere in Hampshire. Bombay. In Bombay. No, it wasn't Bombay. I know it did seem like a kind of a long drive from your home, but I don't think it was India. I, I can't remember because it's some tiny little village somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no. I, yeah, we talked about it. Uh, what was that? Was that we last? Did, uh, at the time. When was that? Like earlier this year or was it last year? It was like forever ago. I don't, I don't, I don't remember I think it was exactly. Last, end of last year? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it was a, it was a fun it's time. Laverstoke Mill. Laverstoke. Laverstoke, Mill. Laverstoke Mills. And okay. um, Liz, do you remember when it was? Was it when I was over uh, there in January? Yes, uh, it was this year, I believe. Okay, earlier this year, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, we went over to the Bombay Sapphire um, Distillery and had that great tour. And uh, at the end of it, it was their tasting room, and uh, that was one of the uh, one of their cocktails that uh, they put together what, was, one of the very pretty girls uh tempted jeff with oh yeah they were very pretty uh, cocktail waitresses yeah I, I must have had too much to drink i don't remember this <laughs> um but uh anyway yeah, we had a great time i was but, driving i remember it all. Uh, <laughs> we were all over the place ladies and gentlemen it was it was a mess Sad. no just kidding he was completely sober <laughs> It's your story. Uh, You're sticking to it. <laughs> it's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, let's see. So we talked about Ethan and uh, congratulatory um, uh, acclamation. Solicitations. Yes, solicit- all that stuff. And no, not solicitations. That's something completely <laughs> oh, different. That maybe was that was distillery. That was at the distillery. Now it's all <laughs> becoming clear to me. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you, I Hall Boxes. Um, I keep forgetting his actual name. Sorry. Um, the, uh, we are going to be doing another two part, uh, show today. Uh, thank you for reminding me. And, and Liz was also reminding me earlier that I should mention that, uh, because, uh, Rick, um, his schedule changed again and he was not going to be available. I think he's in the last couple of hours of his flight from Narita to Sydney at the moment, or he's getting close to landing there apparently, or maybe, uh, but, um, he is going to uh, get to his hotel and be ready to go probably around what eight o'clock uh, or eight o'clock Eastern time zero 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 Z time uh, or Zulu time one and, o'clock in the morning my time yeah so needless to say we are not expecting Nick to rejoin us uh, for the part two. Um, Steph was going to try to make it for the part one. Uh, however, there was a little snag at work and patients not showing up on time and such. So, uh, she is going to, uh, try to make it for part two Steph, later tonight. Having problem with her patients. Yeah. Patient like, <laughs> like her, her, uh, medical patient, her victims. Ah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> her, her backstabbing victims. Yes, uh, victims. Yes. So uh, so that's the plan. So uh, stay tuned for a tweet slash Facebook post uh, indicating when we're going to start for sure. And I'll set up everything so that we can do a part two later on. 
So that's the reason why. Yeah, a little bit of a gap in between so you can uh, have a little snack or dinner or a drink or two and then uh, come back. Or and, go to bed. Yeah, or go to bed. <laughs> We're not talking about you. Anyway. <laughs> Don't blame you. Um, so, but let's talk about you, though, Nick. What have you been up to uh, since the last episode? Oh, nothing. How about you, Jeff? <laughs> really? That's it? Nothing? <laughs> well, to so, be sh- truthful, not much has okay. happened. Uh, yeah. A few house improvements, uh, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. The weather has been quite pleasant. We've had a little uh, burst of uh, warm weather uh, oh, nice. before that true autumn sets in. That'll peter it off by the end of the week. Uh, but it has been pleasantly warm, like 25, 26 degrees today, nice. a little warmer yesterday. Getting close um, to 80 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's nice. Yep, yep. Ideal, kind of a little bit humid. That's been the only hassle. Mm-hmm. Um other than that, uh, I'm being busy knocking out plane tasks because I've got a photo shoot coming up ah. on Friday. So I didn't want to have that hanging over me because a uh, photo shoot usually involves about three solid days of work. So wow. I don't have a lot of spare time. Right. So, yeah. Um, other than that, um, nothing much, really. Okay. Well, not a heck of a lot uh, going on with me either. However, and I think I mentioned it on the last episode that I was going to be meeting up with one of our community members, um, and that will become apparent when I play this little audio that I uh, recorded when I met up with said community member. Let's see, Captain Jeff here at the Atlanta International Airport. I'm very, very confused. Uh, I'm not used to seeing... All the sites that I'm looking at here, uh, passengers walking around and flight attendants and pilots walking around in their uniforms. One of these days, I want to be a pilot, just like, oh, wait a minute, I am. Just doesn't feel like I am. Anyway, we're in the middle of the A-spine at the Atlanta International Airport, and I say we because I'm with APG community member, uh, the, uh, I think he's the CEO, president of the, uh, somewhere high up in the chain, I'm sure of the uh, very large donkey fan company in Lexington, Greg Peterson. Hey, everybody. How are y'all doing? I'm on my way out to uh, LAX. I was going through Atlanta, so I reached out to Jeff to see if he wanted to uh, get together for a little mini meetup. So he met me, and we had a little lunch together. And now I'm getting ready to board my flight to LAX. Going to do a little plane spotting with some, some friends of mine out there this weekend and then head back on Sunday. Very cool. Yeah, and uh, my schedule is awfully busy. I just happen to have a little spot open in it, in my calendar. Uh, yeah, like everybody knows, I don't do anything anymore. Still waiting for training. And uh, so he told me he was going to be coming through the ATL, and I thought, yeah, let's get together. Uh, I miss doing meetups with the community, and it was so great to be with uh, I've had meetups with Greg in the past, so it was like meeting an old friend. Uh, it is meeting an old friend. And uh, so it was great to be uh, great to get all caught up with what's happening with you and your family and uh, job situation, all that stuff. And uh, look forward to hearing uh, from you when you get back from this plane spotting trip out to LAX. I'll have to to post some pictures when I get back. Once I see how many good pictures I get, I'll send some to Jeff and he can pop them up on the on in the show notes or whatever. Well, we always look forward to your uh, feedback, Greg. Well, most Most of the time, we really look forward to your feedback. (laughs) Kind of an inside joke. Okay, with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off from ATL. Take care, everybody. Bye, everybody. Well, Greg is in the live audience right now, and he says that he took 2,250 photos. 
while he was out there. And wow, and that all of the same airplane. Yeah, no, I hope not. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> so Maybe he can so clarify. Uh, but uh, interestingly, just before the show, a couple of hours before the show, um, Greg texted me, and I hope it's okay for me to share this. He said, uh, 50 years of flying on airplanes, and I got my first go around on my flight from Atlanta to Lexington on Monday morning. And when he was returning after this um, plane spotting weekend in, in uh, Los Angeles. And I said, well, you know, the question that must be asked, did you start humming? You can always go around. Oops, that's going green. <laughs> Here we go. And his response was, I actually did. <laughs> so, Excellent. Excellent. I was, and I said, yep, knew it. I yeah. used to have to try uh, and stop myself from doing exactly that on finals, just in case <laughs> I said out loud, you can always go around. And the guy took. Yeah. What? Oh, go around. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, never mind. <laughs> just, just singing a song. Sorry. Yeah, just singing a song in the flare. Yeah, that's not a good time to do that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, good to good to see that you're back and that you took a bunch of photos, Greg. So send us some some uh, feedback and uh, don't send all 2,250 photos. <laughs> Just pick a couple of them and a then couple, we'll yeah, be good. put that in the show notes. Um, anyway, it was really, really nice uh, meeting up with Greg. We uh, had a little lunch at um, the P.F. Chang or P.F. Chang's little Chinese place in the, uh, in the airport. It was a little odd being in the airport because it had been a little over three months, like three and a half months since I'd been in the airport. And but that's uh, going to change, Jeff, isn't it? That is going to change. Thank you, Liz. A nice little segue. I uh, had been saying that, and people have been asking um, a lot uh, when I was going to go to training. And for the longest, well, the original, original notification was that I was going to start training in October. And I thought, well, I keep getting closer and closer to October, and I keep checking the training schedule and notification about training in my um the uh, scheduling system and not seeing a thing. And I'm thinking, well, I just made the assumption that uh, I'm not going to be training in October. It's probably going to be November or maybe even after that, maybe, or maybe they were all backed up or something. And then um, just the other day, uh, either yesterday or the day before yesterday, um, I was uh, looking through my email, not my normal email, but uh, another address that apparently the, uh, company uses to notify me of such things and uh, there was an email sitting there that said acme training letter and went huh and so i looked at it and i am indeed starting training on the 717 uh starting the 5th of october so basically i'll be training all month uh in october uh check ride looks like scheduled for uh the 31st of october halloween i hope it's not a of a, a Full of fright and horror. Uh, well, it depends who's giving the fright and the horror. Yeah, right? I'll be. So long as you're <laughs> dealing it out, that's fine. Okay. Um, yeah. So hopefully everything will go nice and smoothly. And uh, so yeah, I'll be I'll be starting training very very soon. And I kind of panicked a little bit. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I thought I had another month to uh, 
kind of fool around and not study. And then I, now I realize I got to really start cramming for this stuff and taking <laughs> care of all that training that they expect me to do computer-based training before I show up. And then one of the first things that they throw at you is um, an electronic systems validation. I think they call it ESV uh, where you, you know, kind of go in and, and uh, on a computer and have a big test. And I think there's a, minimum passing rate. So I'm going to have to make sure I, I know the systems, which are pretty, you know, they're going to be quite familiar. I think they're very similar to the MD-88, MD-90 systems, a little bit more modern, but uh, in general, fundamentally, they're, they're the same kind of system. So should be okay. Fingers crossed. So that was some news. And so we're going to uh, try and do the show during all the show. Yeah, we'll definitely try to do the show while I'm doing the training. Uh, might be uh, might be a little bit of a challenge to find a good time to do it, but uh, we'll we'll see. It looks like I'm off every single Sunday. I know Sunday is not necessarily the best time for everyone, but uh, we'll see what we can work out so that uh, I do need to focus mainly on the training uh, and uh, less so on the uh, on the show. But luckily, fortunately, I have very sharp people, co-hosts, and producer director that will. Uh, you know, be doing a lot of work in the background and uh, maybe I can just walk up to the microphone and start talking um, and, you know, we'll do it. <laughs> Liz says, we'll do our best. So yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't be any kind of an interruption for um, the uh, show recording. So that is the news on the uh, training front for me. And I think that was all really I had uh, oh I might be meet up, meeting up with uh, one of the community members, a co-host of the uh, Plain Talking UK PTUK podcast, Armando. Uh, I believe we're going to meet up for an early dinner tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to that. And I'll give him my best. Please. I will. I certainly will. Okay. With that, I think it's time for us to go to the coffee fund. So we play the coffee fund jingle. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. That is Jeff Smith singing the APG version of the Java Jive because we're going to talk about coffee. Well, actually, we're going to talk about contributing financially to the airline pilot guy show we call it the coffee fund a couple different ways you can do it um one is the coffee fund classic method and since the last episode george leslie sent in a recurring contribution thank you george and the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com slash airline pilot guy and that's where you basically pledge a certain amount per episode and you can specify a maximum amount uh to uh so we don't uh you know break the bank as such and since the last episode we have a new patron a new producer john mcculloch he just, i just got this message i think it was yesterday or maybe today uh that uh john mcculloch has just become a $1 patron. So thank you very much, sir, for that. Hey, if you want to join this great group of folks, please head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee and join the coffee fund. You'll be glad you did. 
and we will as well. Captain, incoming message. Let's start with the first item in our feedback folder from an anonymous PGA sufferer. Huh? Good evening, dear Captain Jeff and your interesting co-hosts. <laughs> interesting? Yeah, that's a good, okay. good word for it. First Take of all, that. even though Captain Nick, the salty one, yes, I'm originally from South Africa and we don't always see eye to eye due to certain historic events, uh, is British. I do applaud the elegance he brings to the show in terms of pronunciation. And then he laughs. Bah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you all Americans do butcher the English language sometimes. Thank you. Uh, retract that. Liz actually brings real elegance with her Canadian accent. Yeah, Liz says. Well, a South so African <laughs> really has got no leg to stand on when it comes to awful accents, but there you go. That, Af- that South African accent has always befuddled me a little bit when I hear one and I'm thinking, what is that? I'm hearing it. Sometimes it sounds like a Germanic or German accent. And then other times it sounds like uh, an English accent. Well, it's English with a lot of Dutch thrown uh, in. So hence the uh, combination of languages, I guess. Huh? Yeah. I know. They're just strange people. They are Don't strange people. That's Don't for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're really nice, strange people. Yeah, most of the ones, yes. I'm not too sure about this person. But Liz, says, Liz says, I love this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah well, she would. <laughs> flattery will get you everywhere, apparently. Absolutely. Anonymous. Yeah. Too bad you don't, don't know who this person is, though, Liz, because he or she is anonymous. Uh, let's see. Was listening to show 440 where you guys spoke about modern pilots' inability to fly the plane. To my horror, a year or so ago, I spoke to my friend, an instructor pilot at a very prestigious flying school. I won't mention the name, but let's just say it's Acme Cold. Not sure which airline that is. Anyway, as we were observing a student and instructor pilot depart, my friend mentioned something along the lines of, Ah, now just switch to autopilot and enjoy the ride. I questioned him about switching to autopilot at such an early stage. The plane was barely barely 1,000 feet in the air. I said the fun in flying is the actual hand flying the airplane. His reply was even more shocking. He mentioned that once in the air and on autopilot, he can relax. (laughs) That's really not true. (laughs) Well, if you do, uh, you might get into trouble. Um This is what these schools teach. Switch to autopilot as soon as possible. Take it with a pinch of salt because I'm not in the school learning to fly, but I think I have that 50% accuracy covered. That's good. Uh, But it mostly definitely, or it most definitely sounds like these prestigious Part 141 pilots are spoon-fed automation. This is where the problem lies. From ab initio, these guys rely on automation. I will probably also be scared to actually fly the plane if so infrequently do. Wait, I think I read that wrong. I will probably also be scared to actually fly the plane if I so infrequently do. Yes, I agree. I've always wanted to be a pilot, but unfortunately things have not always gone according to plan. Have had some exposure to flight training and the best part was handling the aircraft yoke and throttle. I know enough about flying to know I am dangerous. (laughs) Guess modern-day pilots all have Airbus aspirations. 
regards and thanks for the fun show anonymous and then he puts a ps in here which might explain why he said at the beginning he was a pga sufferer he says the apg syndrome has taken on an unrelenting form in me the gpa syndrome downloading episodes on iphone and for some reason it plays the newest episodes first and moves backwards kind of fun <laughs> very good but, uh, I, but isn't that the way that it works with all podcast clients yeah I mean, it usually brings up the most recent yeah that's the way it works on all the ones that i use so i don't last think that's in first out yeah La- what did you say last in first last out. in first out yeah okay <laughs> um so let's let's uh let's break this down a little bit um kind of a little bit of a snarky comment about airbus uh which um yeah i'm gonna take him on about that but <laughs> You carry on, Jeff. Okay. Well, um, I can say that we do know uh, Louisiana Steve, uh, or I guess now maybe Indiana Steve. I'm not sure exactly what he's calling himself. Haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, was um, going through a Part 141 school, which I will leave unnamed. Uh, but he basically told me the same thing, that they rigorous, rigorous, bleh, probably shouldn't say that word rigorously um very good not really not religiously but rig with rigor <laughs> they teach that automation is what you do yeah you don't you don't do any hand flying at all and he was kind of you know perplexed by that as well and he said yeah the the reasoning he said the instructors gave to him was that's the way they do it in the airlines so they're teaching this at the mm at the sub airline level. I think they've got the wrong end of the stick. They do. But. Yeah, I, I agree. And he's, and he does as well. And it is, um, shocking and concerning, uh, that, uh, these schools are teaching this kind of stuff. Um, but as you know, we've always said on the show, it's, it's important to know how to fly the airplane every way, uh, whether it be manually, manually flying the airplane or using the automation, you have to have skills in in both. So, it's yeah, you have to be important. the complete pilot, don't yep. you, Jeff? I mean, there's no point um, being able to hand fly the airplane extremely well because there are times when automation is a requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't go into some airspace without automation uh, because of the reduced separation that we now have. Yep. So, you, you know, you've got to have a really firm understanding of uh, the automation and yep. uh, how the aircraft will behave in its different automatic modes. And that's why I mentioned, but, like, when he, his comment about, you know, or not his comment, but the uh, friend of his that is an instructor pilot, um, saying that, you know, once he gets it on autopilot, uh, he can relax. And I'm thinking, Ooh, don't, yeah. don't think that way because you know, you're still flying the airplane using the autopilot system. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you shoot and, and the, those errors that creep in because of uh, a badly typed instruction in your uh, flight management computer, flight guidance computer, um, that you can't don't pick up on quickly can really lead you astray. So you know it's very it won't crash the airplane, but you could deviate severely from the flight path of the SID that you're trying to fly, yep. um, and uh, end Make up it a bad day. You know, Exactly right. And you can end up very close to another airplane or infringing other piece of airspace or whatever the problem is. So you really do have to keep on your toes. And it's not easy when the automation is on because 
you know, it's it's a bit of a laborious process, just checking the airplane's doing its thing properly. Mm-hmm. It but I, the, the reason I'm going to I'm going to um, do the Airbus thing is not just because I was an Airbus pilot, but this is not an, an Airbus thing. This is an autopilot thing, right? Uh, and autopilots have been around with us, you know, since the fifties, for heaven's sake. And what before Airbuses? Yeah, well, amazing, isn't it? Wow. Uh, and, you know, my my father was an airline pilot, but he was a training captain or an instructor pilot, as uh, uh, some Americans, and a Czech pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, he complained uh, all the time about the, uh, the fact that the pilots back in the 1970s were losing their flying handling skills because of the overuse of the autopilot. And that hasn't changed. Nothing in that area has changed. Auto, uh, sorry, Airbus have altered the way in which the aircraft is controlled and the protections the aircraft has. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about hand-flying the airplane against putting the autopilot in. Mm-hmm. And so that this problem has been around with us for decades and still we're facing the same yep. hassle of um, guys using the autopilot uh, perhaps too much uh, so that they don't maintain their hand flying skills having said that flying an airliner there really is very few hand flying skills you need and unless you're you know doing something tricky in a bad crosswind on a mm-hmm. nasty day for a landing because once you're airborne and you're on the SID, you've got a few gentle turns to do. You've got a couple of level offs. I mean, where's the skill required in that? So mm-hmm. to a certain extent, once you're a few thousand feet above the ground, pardon me, uh, I can't see the problem necessarily with putting the autopilot in. Certainly right. on the descent and the approach, mm-hmm. much more testing flying because you're really trying to manage the aircraft's energy and you're trying to intercept uh, ILSs or whatever the requirement is. You're trying to manage the speed uh, and get every aircraft configured uh, appropriately, uh, trying to do everything expeditiously. requires a lot more thought and practice, but getting airborne, yeah, 1,000 yeah, feet, boom, autopilot. Yeah, it's, it's almost, so I don't really, you, know, you, you hardly even have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, all right. It's not an Airbus thing. It's an autopilot thing. It's been around with us for fifty years or more. Mm-hmm. It is well recognised, but it's very hard to fix. I certainly don't think flying schools should be encouraging people to use automation unless they're trying to check on their ability to use the automation in their aircraft properly. If they're requ- if they're doing that, it's fine. That's important. Yes. As we keep saying over and over again, you know, you have to, you have to know how to do it all, you know, not just be an autopilot manager expert. You have to also be able to hand fly the airplane as well. Got to do both. Very much so. All right. Very good. Well said, sir. Should Um, we climb off our slate boxes now? Yes, we shall. Let's move them (laughs) out of the way. But I'm going to keep it very close by just in case we need to step up onto them again. Uh, I mean, Jack, my seat. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I'm yeah, not you on need the to. Well, get, get back up on the soapbox, Nick. We can't <laughs> see the whole. Okay, there you go. All right. Uh, this is from Aviator Tony. Uh, greetings, Captain Jeff and APG family. It has been a spell since my last communique to you all. What can I say? 2020 has kicked me in the pants. 
These past few months have been rather difficult for so many of us within the aviation community. The stress levels we have to manage daily have been peaking into the red as we navigate so many questions about our careers, the reduction of air service, the potential for upcoming furloughs, the complexity of leave options, and what undoubtedly has been a drastic increase of passenger disturbance events aboard our aircraft. Passengers have done lost their minds. (laughs) In the wake of all these heavy factors, I feel blessed to have found a few ways to cope with all of this noise. Some of the simple joys that continue to help me get through this cursed and demonic year are listening to your podcast each week, doing all I can to keep a full flying schedule while I still can, and spending what little free time I have left producing the Squawk Ident podcast as well. Ooh, see how you slid that one in. Uh, Uh, Yeah, quick plug. (laughs) Listening to and speaking with fellow aviators about this current turbulent rotation around the sun helps tremendously. At least it does for me. Let's see. um, If the CARES Act is not extended prior to October 1st, I too will be affected by the downturn. Over here at Legacy Airlines, I believe you all call it Ajax, uh, 2500 WARN, W-A-R-N, letters went out. In an effort to mitigate the number of furloughs uh, among the pilot group, the company and union have worked out a plan to offer six-month leaves of absences with options for an early out, an alternating month-line option, and a zero-timeline option. Pilots who had received warn letters were offered the option to bid for conditional um, leaves of absence, meaning in lieu of furlough, seniority permitting, said pilot would receive a zero-time or alternating month schedule. Well, I unfortunately received a ZTL option, zero-time line, in lieu of furlough. Uh, I guess that means that he's still not technically furloughed, but he's not leaving any, uh, getting any time either, which is the way we get paid, at least here in the, at the legacy airlines in the United States. With that said, the extension of the CARES Act not only affects pilots, but tens of thousands of airline employees across our nation. Let's keep our fingers crossed that the time to start rebuilding our industry is just around the corner. On a lighter note, I like how you have been including Liz's audio into the feed. It is like having an inside track on how the boss keeps you all above the 50%. Yeah, I like that. I was just telling you earlier. <laughs> I think we should keep that on. Well, well, we'll see. You know, we have to get uh, an affirmative... Uh, uh, acquiescence from the uh, producer director before that happens. Uh, look, I just sort of give a thumbs up. No, that was not the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It wasn't uh, a thumb. No, oh, it was, uh, it was her middle finger. I think. Oh dear. Okay. Um, I have come to realize that as times beating drum seems to be ringing louder this year, the feeling that the APG crew is more like a part of the family than a podcast program has helped me, as I am sure many of your listeners too feel less anxious about what lies ahead in our industry. As I've listened to APG over the last few months, I've laughed, smiled, and even shed an occasional tear. But most of all, I have felt a part of something great, a community. It becomes a very small industry when you can say that. So cheers to you, Jeff, Steph, Nick, Rick, Liz. Thank you for helping so many of us get through this rotation. I also wanted to mention that I recently came across a link on the socials that I thought you and the crew would enjoy. Have you seen these old 1960s short films produced by the FAA about topics ranging from density altitude to radar controllers? I've been watching these old clips on YouTube. Very entertaining. 
And then he included some links, which we'll have in the show notes if you want to check them out. And he goes, uh, anyways, keep up the great work. Uh, shameless plug inserted here. Again, uh, check out uh, aviatortony.com. That's A V 8, the letter, the numeral 8, R T O N Y, A V 8 R Tony.com, and the Squawk Ident podcast. Tailwinds, etc., etc. Aviator Tony and crew from the Squawk Ident podcast. So check it out if you. want to check out another great uh, aviation-related podcast. And thank you very much, Tony, for the nice words. And, you know, we do actually, and we we say it quite often, probably every show, that the best part of this whole thing is the community. And we're not just saying it just to say it. I mean, we really do mean it. And uh, we're, we're so happy that we have people like you as part of it. So. Yeah, and any small way that we can sort of keep people's spirits up, if you can say that, or mm-hmm. find a way to, uh, you know, console people who are having a hard time of it during this time, then that, for me, is incredibly uh, well-spent time. So, uh, right. yeah. You know, we know we have your attention. We're in your ear for three hours or so every week, and we want it to be a positive experience for everybody and lighthearted Absolutely. and entertaining yeah. and maybe even learn something. No, no, no. Okay, forget no, that. Don't want you to learn anything from us. <laughs> well, we learn from you all because if we say something that's not right, darn. Well, that's true. I know more about <laughs> propellers now than I ever did. I know. And uh, have I ever told you about P Factor? Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you about. No, never mind. Only when I was standing next to you in the gentleman's. Uh... <laughs> that's a different kind of P Factor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair anyway, we're not going to get into that. All right. Um, let's... Four. Number four. Okay. Four. Uh, thank you, Liz. Uh, I came across this video from what appears to be the late 80s, early 90s, aside from the fact that it has the worst music ever produced by the human species. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad, actually. It has awesome videos of some real classics taking off and landing. It starts around the 1130 point, and at 1330, there's a Acme 727. Maybe Captain Jeff was flying, and uh, a lot of the footage is taken from the uh, O'Hare. Is it wobbling a bit? Yeah, it was. It was really, (laughs) ah, people were running away and screaming. That was probably me. Uh, It was O'Hare International, and uh, I I told, I wrote back uh, to Darren and said, yeah, it could have been me, because I flew to O'Hare quite often on the 727, and um, it was right around that time frame, so... Who knows? Maybe it was me, but we have a link to that YouTube video. Uh, you'll you'll have to listen to the music yourself to make the determination whether you agree with Darren that it was the worst music ever produced by the human species. Yeah, maybe we'll. <laughs> Liz says we we should like set up some kind of a poll to see how many people think it's the worst ever. Yeah, thumbs up or I thumbs think down. So. On the music. And then send in their contributions as to what is the worst. Yes. in the universe. And send in monetary uh, contributions as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, this got to, uh, okay, going back to Darren's uh, feedback, this got me to thinking. I've heard Captain Nick say that while the 747 was great in its day, it's too old and time to retire uh, to make room for the new airplanes like the 787 and the A350. I absolutely agree with Nick here from a practical point of view, but when I first saw an A350, I thought it was a 787. They really are very similar looking. Uh, clearly, these super. Did you have your glasses on, Darren? <laughs> 
<laughs> Clearly, these supercomputers that aircraft manufacturers use are converging on a design that's the most aerodynamically efficient. And that design appears to be the 787-A350 since they're so similar looking. But I must say, I sure do miss the days of the vast array of different airplanes you'd see in the airport. 727, 747, DC-10, L-1011. Now, they're all starting to look the same and rather vanilla. I know efficiency is more important than aesthetics, but I was wondering how you guys feel about this. Uh, do you miss seeing all those cool-looking airplanes? How do you feel about the design of new airplanes from an aesthetic and style point of view? Absolutely love your show, Darren. Darren, we absolutely love you uh, for being a part of it. And what do you think, Nick? Uh, how it's do you feel about question. these uh, uh, new airplanes? And when I wasn't a uh, an airline pilot, uh, I used to have to identify airliners uh, because I didn't want to shoot down the wrong airplane. <laughs> um, and I really did struggle because, you know, even though some had three engines and some had engines under the wings, and I had a real problem telling them apart because they're very generic. They're a tube, a pair of wings, and you've got to find somewhere to stick the engines. Um because becoming an airline pilot, I actually needed to try and work out what the differences were. Because when air traffic say uh, you're next in the queue behind the A320 or the A319, you actually have to be able yeah, to work you look out over. Which, yeah, what, what is that? Which one of those it is? <laughs> Do you understand? Otherwise, what that you is? kind of like blunder in the queue in front of the wrong airplane, and everyone gets upset with you. Um, so I, I kind of took a bit more of an interest, but I, I do agree. Uh, once you get aerodynamics down to a certain point, they are going to merge. And in the days when you didn't have computers to uh, give you all this uh, assistance, yeah, the, the designers used to be a bit freer with their ideas. But I saw a fantastic video the other day, uh, and it was uh, a KLM uh, flying wing, and it's an Airbus KLM um, conglomerate. It's a, it's a concept project mm -hmm. that these uh, have, have gone together, and they're looking at the next generation of airliners, and they're looking at a a flying a flying wing mm -hmm. as possibly the next generation of airline design. We actually and have I, we actually have a video clip of it. Uh, on the show but it's not on today's episode it's oh, in the staging okay. folder um but yeah it, okay. the exact well, thing you, that you're you'll talking get to about see it then yeah. you'll get to see it i think it's it's a fabulous idea and it's not a new idea mm -hmm. uh flying wings have been around since the war but now with um, the modern composites and capabilities and the, the way that computers can model these things they're really seriously looking at it for the next generation of airliner and i think that that is very exciting it's such a separation from what we currently have it really is uh it would be amazing to see them in the air it really mm -hmm. would yeah they have a scale model of it right now and they're trying to you know see if it is going to be as efficient as they think it uh it could prove to be so we'll exactly. uh, probably have that piece of feedback with the accompanying video on the next uh, episode yes liz next show yep all right brilliant well look look for the next show guys because yep. it, it really is it's superb to see this thing flying uh it looks very cool yes i agree yeah the best part of it though is the uh 
the engineers that are actually flying the little model airplane. They're the best part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I hate to think how much this cost. <laughs> and they had to get a specialist pilot in there to, you know, do the radio control of it. And mm-hmm. I'm just thinking that guy was so cool. Cause they were very, very we, serious. <laughs> very, <laughs> very serious. Model. <laughs> very serious. Probably yep. too serious actually. Yeah. But uh, anyway, you'll see what we're talking about on the next show. Uh, quickly. Um, William. Uh, writes uh, catching up on episodes after getting behind listening to killing zone how and why pilots die a great read by the way (laughs) i don't like that i don't like that title at all william what are you trying to say here um anyway uh, y'all were talking about the md 2020 and we're not talking about an airplane here we're talking about uh, what we used to term uh, here in the u.s as teenagers drinking age of course MD 2020 uh, or Mad Dog 2020. Interesting trivia. MD stands for Mogan David, a kosher winery. After they do their pressing for their wine batch, they have leftover mashed grapes. Instead of throwing it out, they run it through another mashing. The resultant product is low quality and not enough sugar to ferment into enough alcohol content, so they fortify it with ethanol and add flavoring. As such a cheap product, <laughs> now you're kind of Sounds getting gorgeous. an idea. It's not a really, it's not a fine wine. Just trust me. Uh, as such a cheap product, they don't want to sell it under their own label. Thus, the MD, not Mogan David, uh, MD 2020 was 20 ounce, 20 ounces at 20 percent ethanol. Uh, Etoh, what does that stand for? Ethanol. I don't know. I guess that's... estimated time out of hospital. <laughs> I I don't think so, but yeah, I, I guess <laughs> okay. it could be. Uh, he says now it's around 18%. Maybe that's like alcohol by volume, perhaps. Um, might be. That's a lot. <laughs> like a, a typical wine is what, 13 to 15%-ish? Yeah. Well, there? 13, it never used to be. It used to be down around the 9, 10, but nowadays, modern wines, you're right, yeah. 13, 15%. And then an IPA is usually stuff. anywhere from about, what, 6 to 7.5-ish like a standard IPA beer. Um, yeah. But yeah, 20%, uh, that's a lot. Anyway, more than you ever wanted to know, he says. <laughs> <laughs> I love it though. No, that's that's good info. Um, and I think I, I mistakenly mentioned that I thought that the MD 2020 was like one of those um, distilled um, grain beverages, uh, not a actual wine, but I'm wrong. It really was sort of. I guess a, um, what do they call it? A um, fortified wine, I guess, is the he, best way to describe Hillel it. Here's Hillel piping up from the bathroom, Jeff. Hillel. Hillel, what are you doing in the chat room? You need to, uh, you need to get back to the bathroom. <laughs> what are you doing here? Uh, he says, because Mogan David is such high quality. Line. Yeah, I, I know. When I said that, uh, I, I, I was thinking the same thing, Hillel. Uh, even their regular line of uh, finer Wines are not something that a lot of people would um, would uh, classify as um, as fine. And uh, he says also the American cheese of wines. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. There's some good American cheeses out there. Hello, come on, not a lot, but there are some. No, he means American like processed cheese, like Velveeta. Oh, I, know. I think I know he means processed cheese. Yeah. Anyway, okay. 
about three minutes if you want to do one more. Or okay, on. let's see. Uh, Liz is saying that we might be able to squeeze one more in. That's what she said. Set <laughs> the um, to the bishop. <laughs> Glenn from New Zealand. Uh, he said, I thought you might like this crazy YouTube video from AvWeb. I saw this on Facebook and thought it might be of interest. And so he uh, gives us a link to a YouTube video. And this is the point at which Liz is going to play the video. Gonna be a Photoshop job, right? Nope, it's real enough, all right. Shot in 1976 is one of the stranger airshow stunts in history. The human fly, also known as Rick Rojat, was a creation of a couple of sausage makers from Montreal who saw promotional gold in a mysterious superhero in a red suit. For the flying part, they turned to famed aviation entrepreneur and movie pilot Clay Lacey, who recently told AvWeb the real story behind this photo. Well, the guy called me one Sunday morning about 7. My wife picked up the phone and she said, we were still sleeping, and she said, this must be for you. And this guy came on and he said, this is a human fly calling from Montreal. He said, Evil Knievel gave me your name. And I thought, oh, great, you know. He said, uh, <laughs> let me t explain to you what I want to do. And he said, don't say anything until I'm finished. I said, okay, so I want to stand on top of the Learjet uh, in flight. And he said, over the Bonneville salt flats, with, upside down with my head two feet to the ground. He said, uh, what do you think? <laughs> I said, well, fly. I said, I'd have to have to give this a lot of thought. And I don't have much time to think about it right now, so I'm really not interested in. But a week later, Lacey realized the human fly stunt would be. Anyway, little little bit of a, a clip, a little teaser to the uh, video that we have the uh, link to in the show. But if, if, if you're uh, listening to the audio only podcast and haven't had a chance to look at the link in the show notes, uh, the human fly is actually on top of a, I think it's a 707, isn't it? I thought um, it was a DC-8. Or a DC-8. Yeah, yeah. I, it's one of those. Four-engine airliner. <laughs> well, yeah, four-engine uh, airliner. And, uh, and yeah, it's kind of crazy looking. It's flying very low to the ground. And this guy is kind of standing up on top and propped up uh, with a some kind of a propping device. And I'm not sure. He's, I doubt he's that like they tied to a post. Yeah. Sticking out the but top of the can you imagine like getting awake, awakened in the morning by a call from a guy that wants to stand on a Learjet and yeah, fly particularly upside when he down? Introduces himself over the phone as "Hi, I'm the human fly." <laughs> I'm the human and fly. He goes, and he's right. Canadian. <laughs> and he's Canadian. That's even more reason to be suspect. So uh, anyway, they got uh, some strong drinking kind of. They, they, they do. Yes. I'm not sure what they're drinking up there, but it must. Be <laughs> must be strong anyway so please yep. check it out thank you glenn for uh sending that he says talons douglas and blue skies with unlimited visibility and hope everything is going well for you kiwis uh down under all right with that it is a dc8 according to colin goon thank you sir and uh it's now time for the best part of the show which is of course the old pilot's plain tale for this episode and it's entitled it's not what you say the old pilot's playing tales. It's not what you say. I was recently digging through some old airline paperwork and came across a delightful booklet from my old airline entitled Cabin Address from the Flight Deck. 
briefing notes and suggestions. The book is more than 20 years old, so the content might on occasions fail to reflect current sensitivities, but I thought it was worth digging into so that I could share some of its suggestions with you. The art of making a good public address is attempted by many, achieved by some, but mastered by few. And I am certainly not going to tell you which category I fell into, but I suspect you'll draw your own conclusions. The editor goes on to single out the notables who contributed and whose names have now passed into the annals of Virgin Atlantic history. Apparently, the most common complaint from our passengers about the work of our flight deck crews concerned the quality and quantity of the public address. The esteemed editor reminds us that there was a time when the captain was very visible to his passengers. Even when this booklet was written, more often than not, the only contact we had was through the PA. What you said and when you said it influenced to a very large degree the perception that the passengers had of both you and the airline. Commercial told us that one of the largest groups of passenger complaints concerned announcements from the flight deck. If you need any further convincing, he gave us a quote. Of course, we love you for getting us from A to B and not crashing. And we do like to be given useful information about the flight, but we don't want to be woken up on a night flight to hear that we're cruising at 33,000 feet. That's what we hoped. Conversely, if there's something unusual happening, a delay, a technical problem, engine fire, etc., we want as much information as possible and fast, followed by regular updates. There are a lot of nervous people back here, you see. The Telegraph journalist Tom Utley put it well when he wrote, It's not what he says that matters. What is all important is the way that he says it. Laid back, but utterly authoritative. Drawling, but alert. Good-humoured and even matey, yet somehow unapproachable. A little superior. What he is telling his passengers is that, whilst flying may terrify them, for the next 13 hours he will be in charge, and they couldn't be in safer hands. Brave and unflappable, he is a British airline pilot, a master of the skies. I'm sure something similar could be said of pilots from other countries as well. I'm told by my booklet that when I speak, two things happen. Firstly, the passengers will stop and listen, because, oddly enough, they listen to pilots. Remember, this was in the days before everyone came on board plugged into their smartphones. You do, after all, have their lives in your hands, and a good half of them are in varying degrees of terror about flying. Secondly, they will each form a mental picture of how they visualise the person behind the voice. 
Their mental picture will be coloured by TV and film characters. Maybe not a bad thing, as few of us have that lean figure, lantern-jawed, dazzling white teeth, steely blue eyes, and hair slightly greying at the edges. But they don't know that. What you do have is the undivided attention, a captive audience for a few minutes, so make the most of it and speak clearly. It's not a bad idea to ask those with you on the flight deck to keep their noisier, vulgar comments to themselves for a while. Also remember that most people have an attention span of somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute, so the last nine minutes of a ten-minute oration will usually be wasted. At this point, our booklet compares the average passenger to a goldfish. Uh, Not very PC, sir. Above all, do not forget that for many of your passengers, English isn't their first language, and that could also apply to many who live in North America. Still not very PC, sir, and I'm sure he didn't mean to include Canada. The content of your PA will depend on the occasion, but all PAs have one thing in common. They're passing on information. Think about what you would like to know as a passenger, and remember that our detailed research shows that next to safety... Time is the watchword. Time to depart, time to take off, time to seatbelts, time to a meal, time to destination. The traveller is governed by time. Your passengers vary greatly, but again, research shows that the majority are nervous flyers and up to 5% classify themselves as frightened or very nervous. It's up to you to reassure all those people who have put their trust in you that you are up to the job and that the flight will be enjoyable. Bear in mind that many are well-travelled. Do try to avoid any hint of talking down to them. The pre-departure PA is the most important of the whole flight and will set the tone. It should always be done by the captain, as most people are odd in one respect, and somewhat insulting to whoever occupies the right-hand seat. They feel cheated if they do not hear the voice of the boss, at least at the start of the flight. Incidentally, many do not want to know that the co-pilot is flying them. They've paid to be flown by the captain, not his assistant. If you wish to introduce your colleagues, all well and good, but no one will remember. It's a pleasure having you on board, but that's the last time you should use you, as from now on we do things together. Always be positive. We may be a little late closing the doors, but with our short flight time, we should arrive on schedule. Nevertheless, try to be as honest as possible. If a pair of mechanics' legs are protruding from an engine, do not expect many to believe you if you announce an ATC delay. Don't elaborate too much in your route. Mention the countries and main geographical features, but not the little village of Lower Piddlecombe. 
The weather en route and at your destination will be of interest, but the forecast is always good in the friendly skies of Virgin Atlantic. Your heights and speeds will only be of passing interest to most. Introduce the in-flight supervisor, because by doing that you're making him or her responsible for the passenger's well-being in the cabin. Finish by emphasising the superb hospitality that Virgin has in store for them. During the flight, keep PAs to a minimum, as points of interest can only be seen by one in ten passengers, so keep your lyrical descriptions of the snow-capped mountains of Greenland to yourself. It can be useful to give a time of arrival and the local time at the destination for passengers with a connection, but many like to hibernate during the flight, and others don't really want their film to be interrupted at the moment critique. If in doubt, don't. An essential call should be made approaching destination, in coordination with the cabin crew. Overhead banger and arriving on schedule will mean absolutely nothing to 95% of your passengers. Give the local time and the arrival time and never say, I hope to have you on the gate, as to some this will have overly exciting sexual connotations. We trust that you have enjoyed the flight. Other airlines only hope you enjoy the flight. Avoid the temptation to make a goodbye call when taxiing after landing. The PA should not be used while the aircraft is in motion on the ground. Passengers expect delays, and by and large don't mind, provided they're kept informed. Once a delay is inevitable, make your first PA, and if you don't know how long it will be, say so. Undertake to keep your passengers informed and keep to it. Set a stopwatch and make a call every 10 to 15 minutes, even if you have nothing new to add. 15 minutes can seem short to you, but it's a long time if you're strapped in. The passengers like to know that you haven't given up and are not, right now, downing your first pint in the pub. Don't be too technical, but whatever you do, don't just say, we have a technical problem or many passengers will assume something major has happened, like a wing has become detached. Most people will understand an instrument indication problem, a hydraulic problem, or perhaps a problem with one of our four electrical generators. They will think, gosh, how meticulous. Everything has got to work. I don't mind a little delay for that. Emphasize that technical delays are for their safety. A delay for weather or ATC congestion is just that, but you can get on dangerous ground if you start blaming a loading delay on a named company handling agent. As far as the passenger is concerned, everything is being run by Virgin. It's always best to be honest without being too specific. Don't keep apologising. Apologise once only. It's not your fault, you're just the messenger, and you're pulling out all the stops. When the delaying issue is rectified, it's rectified. No one wants to know that you're taking a below-par aircraft for commercial reasons. 
Always bear in mind the potential nervous state of your passengers. When they get white caps on their coffee, a few words of calm explanation from the driver will be appreciated. Similarly, in any sort of emergency, the passengers require your calm reassurance that you have everything under control. Holding and diversions require the passengers to be told. They will very soon realise that you're in a holding pattern and what they want to know is why and for how long. If a diversion is necessary, then be upbeat about a return time and virgin assistance. Aircraft nearby in a holding pattern can appear to be flying remarkably close, and to the passenger who can see out of the windows, they may appear to be a hazard. An announcement may be upper sight when, during turns, other aircraft may actually appear to be flying in formation with you. The same rule holds for occurrences during flight as it does for delays on the ground. There is only one thing a passenger abhors more than bad news, and that's no news at all. A couple of in-flight PAs might be... Ladies and gentlemen, this is the captain. As you're probably aware, we have had a technical problem with an engine. The problem has been dealt with, so there's no cause for alarm. I have decided to return to Heathrow, but before we do so, we need to reduce our weight by dumping some of our fuel. This will take approximately 30 minutes, and we will be landing in approximately 40 minutes from now. Our staff at Heathrow will then make every possible effort to ensure that you can continue your journey as soon as possible. Thank you for your attention. Another might be... This is the captain. As you are aware, we have had a technical problem with our cabin pressurization system. We have restored the cabin pressure now, so you may continue to breathe without the use of the oxygen masks. I apologize for any anxiety that you may have been caused, but because we're now cruising at a lower level, we will be unable to reach New York with our normal reserves of fuel and have decided to land at Bangor, Maine. We expect to arrive in two hours and will then make every effort, blah, 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 etc., etc., the mental picture that each passenger begins to form about you and your ability is dependent on how you deliver your PAs. We all have our own characteristics and styles, and these suggestions are not an attempt to make us all sound the same, but are advice on how to deploy our personal characteristics more effectively. The calm, relaxed, professional, but above all authoritative manner in which you deliver your PA is all important. For example, think about what you will say. Speak up and clearly. Vary the pitch in your voice. Project yourself to the public. Be upbeat whenever possible, giving bad news first and ending with the good news. That way, with any luck, the passengers may have forgotten the bad news by the time you finish. Be careful in the use of humour. The next moment you may have to be very serious indeed. Most definitely do not tell jokes. 
Whatever you do, don't rush. Tail off. Use technical terms or abbreviations. Be pessimistic. Sound bored or lethargic. Go on too long. Don't er or ah. Some terms not to use are GMT. Cat one, two or three. Stack, hold, wind shear. Dangerous. Speed over the ground. Take a risk or take a chance ever. When you pick up a microphone to talk to the passengers, you have an immensely powerful weapon. That's what she said. Used well, it will tell your passengers that your airline is the best, most caring airline in the business. Used badly, it will not only shoot you and the airline in the foot, but it can cause much grief, lose repeat business, and, if there are a bunch of American lawyers in the cabin, cost much money. With that in mind, before I finish this tale, a personal anecdote. One of our more colourful and outspoken senior cabin crew was making a PA to wake the sleeping crew members in the crew rest area. An error was made in selecting the zone where the announcements could be heard. Instead of selecting the code for the crew rest area, the selection for the entire aircraft was entered instead. In their usual loud and dulcet tones, the call was made. Hey, wake up you lazy effers. It's breakfast time and the cattle need feeding. With a speed that speaks volumes for why this crew member remained in their senior position for many years after, this audacious PA was followed by another in a sweet, placatory tone. May I remind passengers that the use of the aircraft announcement system is restricted to the crew only. Love that music. So, th- so uh, that's how you got out of that one, huh? <laughs> yeah, it could just have been me, but luckily it wasn't. No. That is funny. No, it was the lovely Linda, and uh, she was a wonderful uh, senior cabin crew, uh, f- full of stories, uh, and, uh, you know, stayed with the company for many, many years. Uh, sadly, uh, retired now. Oh, that, that's funny. Really, really good points made about public addresses. Well, rather old-fashioned, uh, to be uh, true, though. Uh, mm. little, not, not quite PC, but to be fair, the gr- vast majority of that came direct from the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, the worry that your passengers will think you've gone to the pub included, etc. So yeah. uh, that is great. Very, very good. I'm so glad I found it. It's uh, oh, and I've got to say, uh, my huge thanks to Captain John Reed, uh, who was uh, an airline pilot with um, British Airways, and um, the cartoonist that gave me permission to use his cartoons from that uh, book mm-hmm. uh, to illustrate that. Uh, and uh, he's still going very strong. Uh, runs a, a lovely uh, uh, florist. Um, flower company in uh, devices 
and uh, I got in, managed to find him, uh, got in touch with him, and he said, yes, more than welcome. Oh, nice. Um, and in fact, he sent me sent me copies of the original uh, cartoons so I could oh, use nice. them for this show. So th- if you, I don't suppose he's going to listen, but uh, uh, if you do, John, thank you very much indeed. Much appreciated. Very good. Yeah, so uh, please, uh, well, these should be in the uh, chapters uh, when you're playing the um, audio-only version on your device. And if your device has the capability to show the images associated with these uh, markers slash chapters, you'll get to see all those great cartoons. And uh, that was awesome. I really enjoyed that one, Nick. Oh, thanks. Good. All right. Well, we are coming toward the end of part one. And again, a reminder that we will have a couple of other co-hosts joining us uh, very soon. In fact, yeah, the also runs the, the also second runs. team, yeah. second eleven. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the the second. Uh, what, yeah, what was they, it called? Uh, the second uh, uh, second class, the B team. I'm thinking of the people yeah, on the, the bench. Team, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Substitutes. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. Um, so look forward to <laughs> to that. And uh, Nick, I'm going to so much. I know. Thank you. Sure. I'll, yeah. I'll have to do my best to uh, clean all that up. Yeah, just don't mention and, it. Just pretend yeah, it didn't happen. They're, they're not going to listen to the first half anyway. That's right. That's true. Anyway, enjoyed uh, doing part one with you, Nick. And I look forward to part two as well. And then I look forward also to seeing you on the next episode next week. Absolutely. Thank you very much indeed, Jeff. Uh, Brilliant being on for this half. And uh, enjoy the next half uh, in a couple of hours. I'm going to be pushing up Zeds. Very good. Take care, man. Thanks, mate. All the best. Bye-bye. Well, would you look at this? From her lakeside studio in the Carolinas, she's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated skydive pilot, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. It is so good to finally be here with you guys. Um, Had intentions of joining you and Captain Nick for part one a little bit earlier, but, um, you know, sometimes work gets in the way, so um, just one of those days, and I'm glad to be here with you guys now. Did you say work? Work, 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 work. I hate that. Um, well, great to have you with us, Steph. And also joining us from his mobile studio in Sydney, Australia. Good day, mate. <laughs> Let's put another shrimp on the barbie. World traveler, airplane mechanic, brightling cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It's Miami Rick. Hey, everybody. Happy to be back. Flew across an ocean. And across another ocean to be here. I'm happy to be here. Happy you're here. Looking forward to another. Do you remember one. which oceans they were? Oceans <laughs> eleven. <laughs> no, I don't know. Some oceans. So Lots of water. Vegas. Who cares? I'm in Las Vegas. <laughs> quit, quit asking me stuff like that. <laughs> well, great to have you with us, Rick. Part two of four forty three, and let's do this before we get on to anything else. Getting to know us, getting to know you, Miami Rick, and Dr. Steph, before we get on. So, Rick. Yes, sir. First thing, how do you feel right now? You feel pretty uh, 
pretty chipper, pretty the, uh, uh, rested. I think, I think the uh, the Brits call it knackered. <laughs> knackered, yes. Uh, why is that? What? How long have you been up, sir? Well, uh, just just the standard when I go flying these long, long trips. Uh, I got up at uh, nine in the morning, soul time. So uh, about twenty, I think twenty two, twenty three hours. So it's yes. been a little while. Yeah, yeah but but the good thing here is that I have uh, I don't fly for another twenty two hours. So uh, after we're done here, I'll get a a nice bite to eat, and then uh, you know call it a day. Wake up early in the morning, do my little gym routine, and then go back to flying. So I should be a uh, Back to 100% uh, tomorrow morning. So they're like in super serious lockdown there, right? Um, in oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's great. If, uh, <laughs> if you have a couple of uh, spare days, uh, do come down to Australia. Um, you know, if, uh, you want to you know, get acquainted to you with your uh, hotel room, uh, it's, uh, it's good times. So do you have to eat in the hotel room? I mean, the hotel itself? No, well, the, they have this, uh, this overpriced uh, menu here with uh, – with a uh, what is it? A twenty-seven dollar uh, burger, mm-hmm. which mm. is not that good. So usually, what I do is I'll, I'll just um, so we stay we stay right right in uh, it's called Coogee Beach. So there's a lot of uh, you know it's, it's a beautiful place actually. It's right on the beach. Um, I have a balcony, which is one of the good things I guess that uh, that we get by being uh, locked up in the room. We get a nice balcony with uh, ocean view. So there's a lot of restaurants and a lot of um, uh, places to eat. So usually what I do is I'll just I'll just get Uber Eats. And um, since everything is just right next door, uh, it'll usually be here inside of a, inside of a you know, oh, half hour, okay. 45 minutes. So it's really not that bad. It's just that it's just that, you know, you, you can't leave. But, you know, not that I would anyway, because I, you know, pretty, as I said, knackered. So. Uh, right. And that's um, an Aussie dollars, right? So it's probably it's like $20. Yeah. It's not yeah. Just- so- yeah. So still I mean, an expensive it's, burger. Yeah, I mean it's, it's still it's yeah, not, it's still kind it's of high priced. Good, yeah, so. yeah. I mean a twenty dollar burger if it's like the best you know burger you've ever had, fine. Oh yeah, I've got no problem with you know, but yeah, but uh, but it's if it's a twenty dollar burger and it sucks, yeah, I have a problem with that. So, uh-huh. Yeah. So the last time you were on the show, you were in Korea. I was in Korea. Um, um, I was in Seoul. Uh, I uh, I had. Um, what did I do? Did I fly? I don't think I did. I fly? Yeah, I must have gone. Well, I did. I did fly. Actually, I did. Uh, I did the uh, the standard uh, rice run that we do from uh, Incheon, uh, Seoul, down to uh, Nuri, um, what's it called? Uh, Taipei, mm-hmm. over to Nagoya, and then back to Seoul. Uh, I did that once, and then I had a uh, interesting. I had a uh, day and a half there, so I actually uh, headed over uh, to downtown and kind of walked around there. I walked around um, an old uh, the old royal palace right downtown uh, oh. Seoul. And then uh, down one of the old um, uh, art districts down there. So I kind of spent the day out, out and about, just walking around. So just you know, it was a good time. Do they have a uh, good Korean barbecue there? Uh, they do. They do really good food. Food yeah. down there is great. I uh, I was uh, I felt uh, felt adventures, and I actually took the train, the subway from uh, from uh, Incheon, which is a um, uh, it's it's all the way to the I guess to the west to the north. Uh, well, yeah, the west the west end of the city. So from the station that I got on to the station that I got off, uh, the whole thing was uh, over two hours. I mean, Seoul is a huge city. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge, huge city. But it's uh, it was a good time. So I was, so I took the train over. Um, 
just uh, cost about three dollars for the whole thing. Wow! And then I I just didn't feel like taking the train back, so I just for the taxi. It was like forty bucks, but no big deal. <laughs> I was yeah. I was I wasn't I wasn't taking the it was, train back. It was no faster. Way. I was <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, yeah. And, and even and even driving, you know, having taken the cab back, it was you know forty five minutes. So um, wow. But it was it was nice. Are they doing the major lockdown there as well, or they've opened everything back up? No, I mean things are things are pretty much pretty much back to normal in in, in Korea. Okay. Um, and uh, the the one thing though is the um, the uh, restaurants and and bars and stuff they have to close by nine, which just kind of it's kind of bad for bars because that's prime prime time yeah. I guess for them. But um, but other than that is it's you know it's, it's back to normal. Thankfully the gym is open again. They just opened on Monday, so I was able to go there. Um, so yeah, I mean things are slowly but surely uh, going back to normal. So uh, hopefully. Uh, Hopefully it'll start happening here too. So, Excellent. Say. All right. Well, great to see you again. And Stephanie, um, yes, sir. you probably haven't done a thing since uh, the last show, right? Um, no. Well, last time we did a show, I was in Salt Lake City. So That's I'd right. just gotten there. I'd just gotten off the airplane. And you um, spent a few days there. Spent a few days there. Got to see all of my siblings who live out that way and a couple of friends. So that was very nice. Had some really, really lovely weather in Salt Lake. It was a little on the chilly side when I first got there and then a couple of days in the upper 80s and 90s um, and kind of cool evenings this time of year. So that was really good. Did a lot of, um, um, actually it just ended up being kind of a restful vacation. Um, First time getting away for more than like just a day or so since, I don't know, March. And, um, did a lot of running with my, my one brother who does a lot of running as well. So we put in almost 30 miles over the weekend Wow! and yeah, I convinced my, my other brother to, um, go on a hike uh, with me up at the top of snowbird. So we took the tram up to hidden peak. It's 11,000 feet. Um, so not super high, but then we hiked around about a mile and a half and, um, that was a pretty good, good little hike. Had some good lunch after that. And yeah, it was, it was really nice. Um, you were talking about lockdown stuff. They're pretty similar there as we are here. Most things are open. Uh, restaurants are open. Bars are open. Well, I think bars, as long as they serve food as well, were open. So, mm-hmm. um, good for my brothers. They're both in the restaurant slash service industry. Um, my younger brother who I do all the running with is a sushi chef. So we actually went to his restaurant and, um, two of the managers who are sushi chefs were kind of competing to see what interesting thing they could make up for us with each other. So it's the best sushi I've had outside of Japan, hands down. It's phenomenal and good. So, um, yeah, all in all, it was a really, really nice weekend. Does he still have all his fingers? Mostly. Okay. Mostly. (laughs) There there was one incident one time where he tried to take off just the very tip of his little finger. Yeah. Uh, Those are sharp knives. (laughs) Sharp knife. Yeah. His knife came from Japan as well. We were over there. Yeah. I remember you tell us, telling us that, uh, you you all went shopping for some nice sushi. Yeah. What was that place? Uh, Rick might know it's the Kapabachi kitchen street or something in Tokyo. Um, it's just like blocks of just restaurant wear or like kitchenware and food service stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah. It's a place to buy your sushi chef or so sushi you, knife if you're a chef. So you got back to um, Charlotte slash North Carolina, South Carolina, the Carolinas. Mm-hmm. And uh, you uh, got to go back to work. Yay. Hey. Super, super exciting. <laughs> you missed it, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Those uh, three days off went by really fast. Yeah. Three days in a weekend. 
Um, but no, it's good to be back working. Um, I've got a couple more days off coming up next month. So actually quite a few days. I've got just over a week. Um, nice. Kind of early October, early mid-October. So nice. that'll be nice. Um, that'll be another good getaway. Hopefully do some, uh, hit some national parks up out West and see my family again a little bit and other friends and yeah. And hopefully, uh, you know, we don't get completely washed out tomorrow with the remnants of Sally headed this way. Yeah, I think we talked about that before we started the recording. Uh, the mm-hmm. um, it's now I think a tropical storm, and it's just to the south, maybe southwest of Atlanta right now. And its track initially was going to go like right over the top of Atlanta, or maybe a little bit to the north of Atlanta, which was going to be kind of devastating as far as a lot of rain and flooding is concerned. And now it's a little bit further to the south, so I don't think it's qu- going to be quite so bad here in Atlanta, but uh, yeah, they same said, for us. I think it's going to be tracking a little bit farther South than they, yeah, that's always a good thing. Cause that'll be on the, the left side of the storm. So that's the, yeah. Semi devastating. Uh, yes. Um, so yeah, we're getting a little bit of rain right now and, uh, supposed to get pretty heavy, uh, early in the morning through about midday tomorrow here. Mm. And then we're going to push it over to, uh, Steph. And then yeah. she can deal with it. We'll pick up the leftovers there. Yeah. Take it from there. <laughs> So there you go. Well, I guess we're all caught up. Anything interesting coming up? Any of you? Oh, I do have one other thing to talk about while oh. we're talking about this one. Don't Please go anywhere. Do. I got to put this over here so I wouldn't forget. And then I almost forgot about it. Anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. I uh, received some like real mail. Oh, a globe. You got a, glo- a new globe. No, that's the same one no. you've always had. This is my $5 target globe. The one that really is, doesn't have accurate, up, right? accurate no. depictions. No, no. Not, not to be used for navigation. Masses. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Uh-oh. So I, re- I received real mail here. Oh, neat. From, from my listener. Is, is, is that still a thing? Really? Apparently. Apparently. Oh, wow. Like handwritten. Wow. Oh, look wow. at that. Wow. I know. So I'm going to go yeah, ahead and read awesome. this because okay. it's it's pretty good. Um, so it says, Dr. Steph. Hi. Um, I ordered this. Well, I'm just going to read it and then I'll show you the stuff that, that came into the. It was a very large box that arrived at my place of business. So I was a little unsure at first what to think of it. But <laughs> it's a bomb. <laughs> yeah, my, my coworker well, arrived on a day when I was uh, over the weekend when I was out of town or on Monday or something. I came back there like we have no idea what this is. Yeah, but it was, somebody, was, somebody sent you an alarm clock. Yeah, yeah it wasn't exactly. ticking. Was it? It's ticking. It's ticking. <laughs> yeah. Well, the um, return address label had an airplane on it, so I was like, mm, I can take a guess as to where this might be going. Yeah. Um, says, I ordered this shirt as a medium, and they sent a small. I've been meaning to send it uh, to you since then. I guess I fell into the bottom 50% with size selection. This is from, um, I was going to say his name here first, Stuart Hendon from Westminster, Maryland. Um, And it's actually one of our um, Osh Blast t-shirts from Oshkosh last Uh year. So he is sending that to me because it does not fit him, unfortunately. He says, um, my wife and I met you in England at the Hogsback Motel that I met you again last summer at Oshkosh at the Arch. You were kind enough to walk with me to show me where the Winnebago-type vehicle, to use fist controller-style language, uh, was. I was honored to meet Jeff, Nick, the old curmudgeon, Dana, and Liz. The shirt has never been worn. Thank you for specifying. And I can assure it is free of cooties, COVID, Clostridium, Campylobacter, etc. Those are interesting uh, <laughs> diseases. Thanks. Um, you might remember that I told you about my new med for APG syndrome. Um, I can't pronounce this the way, uh, the way he probably did. Apigalol. Uh, I don't know. He spelled it like labetalol or um, 
the type of medications that are beta blockers for uh, heart rate. So he called it an APG blocker. Okay. Is he, is he <laughs> somebody clever. that's in the medical industry? I can't remember. I think so. Yeah, but, I bet uh, he based is. on the uh, based on the, inf- the yeah. Uh, so I also bought uh, two books for you on Amazon, one of which is 351 pages and the other 188 pages. Please enjoy. Now, I set this up because these were the first things that I pulled out of the box um, and the, the letter was on the very bottom. Um, and I had I, I pulled it out and I was a little concerned at first because it, I recalled that I mentioned um, a reference to the movie Airplane at one point. Uh, we were talking about light reading material and I said, oh, I have this leaflet of great Jewish sports legends. Yes, I remember that. And I thought perhaps that was taken the wrong way ah. because I pulled these books out and one is great Jews in sports <laughs> and the other one is just the hundred greatest Jews in sports. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so that was very, very funny. Um, once I finally got the letter and realized that he didn't think I was completely serious about uh uh, but you were you know, being disrespectful to the Jewish no, you faith were. and culture, and, and was very no, funny. I was not the movie airplane. I cannot speak for it, but it's very <laughs> funny. Um, and then the T-shirt. So awesome. Uh, it says, "P.S. Stay healthy and wear your PPE." Uh, also, I live not too far from Hillel, but I have trouble meeting with him. He is always in the bathroom. Again, that's Stuart Hendon. Yeah. Seems Westminster, to be an issue with him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just one of many. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just kidding, Hillel. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh. a great guy. Yeah. Indeed. He, indeed. he really is. And he's very clean. I, well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Hygiene is well, very I don't know. Has he, has he used up all the soap yet? Uh, no, I still have. Well, we're getting close to the uh, end of the uh, hotel soaps. Uh-oh. So, Uh-oh. yeah. Got to go back out to work. We could have Get a problem. Hotel <laughs> 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 all right. So. So, uh, anything else? Nope, that's it. I just wanted to make sure I, I mentioned Great. that. Um, well, I actually job. received those before the last show, but I did not have them with me in Salt Lake, and I wanted to. Ah. Uh, you didn't take them with you to Salt Lake for reading? Hmm. No. It wasn't quite light enough. Yeah. For, <laughs> for you. We take like hardly anything. Yeah. All right. Well, excellent. So, I think what we should do now is move on to part two news. And I'm not going to play any music for that. I'm just going to go right to it. And the first item in our news folder is a small plane makes emergency landing on I-75. No injuries after hit by truck. Huh? NaplesNews.com, the source. Um, This was sent in from uh, Bob Lufkin, and it says, no injuries were reported after a small airplane made an emergency landing in the eastbound lanes of Alligator, I'm glad they specified, uh, eastbound lanes of Alligator Alley on Wednesday morning, according to the Florida Highway Patrol. A truck collided with the left wing of the plane after it landed near mile marker 40, troopers reported. Apparently, the trucker was a little upset and jealous. Um The eastbound right lane of the interstate remained closed as of noon Wednesday because of the collision. So there's a picture here that we have that you can see in the show notes of the um, airplane that, I don't know, what kind of airplane is this? Is is that a uh, Beechcraft or is that a Piper? I can't tell. I don't know. I don't know. Um, But uh, it it might be an arrow because it looks like it's got retractable gear. Yeah, it does look like it has retractable gear, three-bladed prop. Has wings, 
one of which is yes. damaged on the left wing. The left one is damaged. The one that was hit by the truck. Yeah. So yeah. that's the only information we have on that. Mm. Well, but, I mean, unfortunately, that it got hit by the truck because it sounds like it was probably well executed until that yeah. point. But that's kind of the risk you take I if know. you're going to land on a on a highway, I suppose. It was going so well. Yeah. Until mm, the truck well, showed up. It, it wasn't going great if you're landing on a highway to begin with, but, yeah. you know, this, this sounds like a good outcome. But there's no information about whether it was a fuel starvation or if it was uh, engine in issues or whatever, but whatever. There you go. Yeah. No, but, I mean, he, he did a great job, you know, putting it down mm-hmm. on the uh, on the highway there. And it's and it's interesting how, you know, going back to um, uh, learning to fly um, you know, single-engine props, it's basically hammered into your brain and always be on the lookout for a uh, for a landing Truck. spot in case your engine fails. <laughs> and uh, when you, you really it's that, that yeah, that's the way I was gonna say when when you really should be on the lookout for trucks. So um that's <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sad, sad situation. But um, yeah, yes. it is. Glad that uh, that uh, we got nothing but uh, you know bruised egos, that's it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And um, bruised left wing bruised left wing. Yeah, and a uh, and a bruised probably. truck, maybe a little bit too. <laughs> maybe, yeah, probably not probably. as much but, as the airplane. You know but. what though? Yeah, the truck probably doesn't have even a dent. Yeah, on truck it. like truck like, like a huh? paint what? scratch. Like, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's that's too bad. Oh well, yeah, they could. I mean, they could have just flown the thing. Looks out like of a those, but, uh, mostly well. a happy ending. Uh, I don't think like anybody that, was uh, injured. We talked about the one in Tennessee the other mm-hmm. week. Yeah, did we talk about that one? Yeah, where the guy took off after refueling. No, we didn't. Landed on oh, the highway. Did. Oh, we didn't did we talk, talk about that. Did we that. cover that one? No, we Liz said that we didn't. Oh, sorry. Is that something mm. that we're going to talk about in the future, Liz? Um, I guess we might, but... No, yeah, we might, she says. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was interesting to me anyway, because he took off on a very curved part of the so, yeah. highway, so everyone was saying, oh, look, circular runways. It's a there thing. It is. Oh, it yeah. Liz said that maybe you can do a dr- dramatic reenactment. No. No, yeah. okay. and I singing at the same time, singing I, and saying at the same time. I think that you should. I love that idea. Okay, we'll work on that between <laughs> yeah, now and the next show. episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Steph will start time. practicing. Maybe it'll be our Christmas special. <laughs> Christmas <laughs> special, yes. Okay, uh, let's move on, on before we get into yeah. too much trouble. Uh, this one, item G, um, a Royal Maroc Boeing seven thirty seven eight hundred at London on February twenty eighth, twenty twenty. Oh, it was quite some time ago. Late rotation for takeoff. Uh, Royal Air Maroc Boeing 737-800 registration. Charlie November Romeo Golf Juliet performing flight 807 from London Gatwick to Casablanca. Um, frankly, my dear. Uh, with 139 passengers and six crew, was accelerating for takeoff from Gatwick's runway 26 left when the automated V1 and rotate calls did not occur. The aircraft rotated at a speed 37 knots above rotate and 120 meters slash 400 feet short of the runway end. The aircraft climbed out to safety and continued to Casablanca for a safe landing. On September 10th, 2020, just a few days ago, the Air Accidents Investigation Board released their final bulletin concerning the probable, probable cause of the serious incident was... During the takeoff roll, the V1 automatic call did not occur, and the takeoff speeds were not displayed on the primary flight display. This led to a late rotation. The incident shows that automatic calls may not always work 
as the flight crew expects, and they should be ready to respond appropriately. And they uh, summarized the sequence of events. The co-pilot was a pilot flying for the return sector. Runway 26 left was in use with a light southerly wind and rain. The cloud was broken at 900 feet and the temperature was 6 degrees Celsius. The flight crew planned to depart from intersection Alpha using flap 1 and an assumed temperature of 55 degrees Celsius. So an assumed temperature takeoff, lower power setting. They had calculated takeoff speeds of V1, 144, V-Rotate, 152, and V2, 155. The commander reported that these takeoff performance figures were loaded into the FMC. Trust me, they were. On stand, and no changes were required during the taxi to the runway. The aircraft entered the runway at intersection Alpha and was clear for takeoff. At 80 knots, the commander confirmed that the airspeed indications were normal, and the flight crew were next expecting to hear the aircraft announced V1, but this automatic call did not occur. When the commander realized the automatic call had not occurred, he checked his PFD and saw the V-speed bugs were not displayed on the speed tape. He felt that the aircraft was slow, so he allowed it to accelerate whilst he evaluated the situation. He did not recall if the speeds were still displayed on his control display unit. As the end of the runway approached, he instructed the co-pilot to initiate a smooth rotation. The aircraft took off and the remainder of the flight proceeded without further incident. No aircraft caution or warning messages were seen at any stage. The commander reported that the lack of the automatic call in the aircraft's technical log after the... Oh, he reported the lack of the automatic call in the tech log, the logbook. Subsequent investigation by the operator did not find any aircraft faults. The automatic calls worked normally on the preceding flight and subsequent flights. Um, let's see. The nose wheel lifted off at 189 knots. The aircraft was airborne approximately 120 meters before the end of the runway at 196 knots and 13 seconds after the planned rotation speed. Uh, so, uh, yeah. what Rick, I've never flown an airplane that has automated uh, call-outs, like the automated V1 call-out, but isn't there some kind of a backup procedure that you have in place so that if the machine doesn't give you one of these calls that you kind of already know what the V1 should be and you just kind of use that as your backup? Yeah, so it's basically, so to to, uh, to understand how this works a little bit, let's back up a little bit. And basically what you do is as part of your, pre, uh, part of your, of your pre-flight, um, once you come up with the speeds based on your takeoff weight and the runway and the wind and, you know, all that stuff, uh, you're going to plug those um, speeds into your takeoff reference page, right? Which is one of the pages of the um, of the um, flight management system. Usually, the pilot flying, and this and this can vary depending on on um, you know procedures from airline to airline. But on most airlines, usually the pilot flying will have the takeoff reference page displayed, and the pilot monitoring will have the legs page displayed or the flight plan page uh, uh, displayed. So you can just glance down and see the exactly. Speeds. So you can see the speeds now. As you plug the speeds into your takeoff reference page, V1 under V1, VR under VR, and V2 under V2, this will automatically populate um, on your primary flight display. All right, so that's the that's the the uh, the screen that's in front of the of each uh, pilot, and this is the screen that um, that uh, has the uh, uh, artificial horizon, your speed tape on the left, your altitude on the right, your compass in the bottom, and and then your flight mode uh, flight mode initiations at the top. Um, the only 
automated call out is V1. It's the only one that's automated. Uh, VR is it's made by the pilot monitoring. And then uh, depending on the airlines, V2 can or, you know, is, is often called out or sometimes it's not at, at my airline. We don't call V2 uh, neither. And we didn't at, uh, at uh, uh, land Chile. We didn't. Yeah. Call we V2 don't either. have Acme either. Yeah. So um, if you don't, if, you find yourself in a situation like this one. Uh, the book says uh, the flight crew, tra- uh, the uh, yeah, the flight crew um, operations manual, the FCOM one, basically. Then that's the manual that that uh, lists out the uh, the, the procedures and, and spells out how the how the airplane has to be flown. On the takeoff chapter of the FCOM one, it'll tell you that if for some reason you forget to set the speeds or the speeds delete themselves for some weird reason. Um you will go off of your V2 speed. And then the reason behind you go off your V2 speeds, because once you come up with your V2 speeds, you know, when you came up with your, with your performance numbers, you will set your V2 in the, in the, in, in your control display unit and your FMS, your flight management system, like we said, but you'll also set it up on your load control panel. And this is actually a, a, a knob, a speed knob that you'll turn to your V2 speed. Right. So, as you turn that to the V2 speed, it'll populate automatically populate your magenta tick or your commanded speed to whatever you have it set up on your MCB flow control panel, right? So if you lose your V speeds for V1 in rotation, the book says to rotate five to ten knots below what your V2 is indicated on your mode control panel. So um, to me. I mean, obviously I wasn't there. I don't know what happened, but I think the guy kind of, he must've been, you know, trying to figure out what the heck was going on with the speed. And in the meantime, the airplane was barreling down the runway and was trying to troubleshoot why his speeds were not showing up on his display mm-hmm. where all he really had to do was look at his V2 and rotate five to 10 knots below that. Right. That's one thing. And then, so if the VR, the rotate speed is not an automated call, why mm-hmm. didn't the pilot monitoring call out the Rotation, maybe because he didn't really know well, what it was. Cause, cause, yeah, because he didn't have it. Because he, uh, did, he didn't, didn't see it on the screen. He didn't have a display. So the thing is, that, so when when you don't have V speeds entered into your control display unit along your your uh, your speed tape, it'll say no V speeds. Ah. Okay. You will have though, as I said, the magenta tick indicating what your V two speed yeah. is, because that's your commanded speed. That's right. commanded speed that is set through your through your um, uh, speed knob on your. So, on so your that's a great that's a great backup. There. Then you know exactly. if you start so saying you the V two speed, okay, you can mm-hmm. just subtract five. What did you say? Five to ten knots. Five to ten knots. That's what the book says. Five to yeah. ten knots. And if you want to be conservative, you know, five knots is fine. Yeah. And uh, just it was a, a a slow rotation, and uh, you you get off the ground. Now the another thing that we we're kind of talking about. Uh, before we um, started recording here is the fact that um, um, one of the um, uh, limitations that not, not a lot of people think about is the tires. And the tires do have limitations, speed limitations. And uh, a lot of a lot of these airliners have Category D tires, which are rated for uh, a certain um, number of um, miles per hour. Um, and uh, if you go beyond that, the structural integrity of the tire is not guaranteed. And the worst thing that can happen to you is have a tire blow up on you, you know, at oh, yeah. the worst possible moment. And uh, you find yourself without knowing what your V1 speed is with a blown tire. You try to go and reject the the the, uh, the takeoff, and now you can't because your tires don't work. So it's it's a very very critical. 
uh, balancing act of getting the airplane um, off the runway safely there. So again, if, if for, for, for some reason you forget to set your speeds or they disappear, always look at your, what your V2 is and make a mental note of what your V2 is and rotate five to 10 knots below that. And you'll it's be interesting that they give the tire limit speeds in miles per hour and not knots. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Uh, I think category, category D is 224 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. And then that translates to whatever whatever that is in knots. Yeah. But uh, if if the guy you know uh, they're getting got close around about 190 knots, uh, I mean I would uh, the, the the fastest I ever got off the ground on a 747 eight, and this is at max takeoff weight close to a million pounds was uh, I think V1 was 180 something and VR was 185. Wow. My V2 was 200 knots though. That's fast. But, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, you're getting you right see, up against that. Uh, two, two, two hundred knots, two hundred knots. So you go two hundred minus ten, one ninety. Rotation was about one hundred eighty-five, one hundred eighty, whatever mm-hmm. it was. So yeah. you're, you're right about. So it, it, it's it's a good rule. Two twenty-four is one hundred and ninety-four knots. Wow. Exactly. That's why it. Uh, that's why it. Uh, that's why the book says that. So. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that the uh, tires didn't pop on them. But um, yeah, sounds to me. I don't know. You know, I wasn't there. It sounds to me like they may have done something incorrectly in loading up the box or whatever. Yeah, there's see, um, I can only think of one reason why the speeds would wipe out uh, from the system, and the only thing, unless there's a a, a specific um, uh, technical circular or, or some kind of uh, engineering uh, document that's that that says that the that particular type of flight management system has some kind of bug that needs to be worked out and that it does happen and you know and and we as flight crews are made aware of that and and we're and uh, basically it, it, the, the this the circular uh, tells the pilot the flight crew how to deal with it and how to fix it if you're if you're dealt with it if, if you have to deal with that situation but other than that the only other way that you can uh, you could you would be able to wipe the speeds out after loading them is by uh, selecting um, reverse thrust um, prior to takeoff. Uh, a lot of times, uh, and actually, I, I, I do it, but um, but I, I'll, I'll only do it on taxi in to try to keep the brakes as cool as I can on um, very very long taxis. I'll um, I'll uh, I'll go to aisle reverse, and uh, but that's it's really not an issue with my V speeds for takeoff because this is after landing, right? right. So it's really you don't need the V speeds anymore. Uh, exactly. So the only the only other way that uh, those speeds will get wiped out is if you select. Um, that reverse thrust on there ah, prior, prior that, to takeoff. That'll, that'll, that'll wipe off your speeds. That so. could have been what happened. Yeah. So that's well, it's a good thing because good. I don't think that Royal Maracas ever had any other takeoff um, incidents. No, no, especially especially in Frankfurt. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Frankfurt. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Uh, very good. Well, I'm glad that you were here to kind of lend your expertise, the Wikipedia, at play. Once again, thank you very much. There we go. Uh, Liz is putting up the Wikipedia uh, <laughs> graphic on the overlay there. The Human Aviation Encyclopedia. Look at that guy. I knew Such you would guy. have a good exp- explanation for all of this. So thank you, Rick. <laughs> okay. And then let's move on to the last item in the news folder, which is uh, from businessinsider.com. Supersonic Air Force One startup boom gets U.S. Air Force contract uh, with new funding from the Air Force. Oh, wait, that's the um, caption for the photo there of the 
artist rendering of the potential supersonic boom aircraft, which looks pretty darn slick in uh, oh, yeah. Air Force One colors. Aerospace startup Boom Supersonic just won a U.S. Air Force contract to develop jets that can carry high-ranking government officials at faster than the speed of sound. The supersonic jet, which could potentially even serve as Air Force One, could cut transoceanic travel times in half and would be ready in about nine years. Boom will launch a demonstrator aircraft later this year. Once it proves that its com concept works, it will begin building a full-size supersonic jetliner. I don't know. I'm not sure what I how I feel about the name of the company. Boom. <laughs> it's just like Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it does convey <laughs> perhaps supersonic. Yeah. yeah. It makes but maybe me not in well, a positive way. But I no, think it, of it, uh Professor or uh, um Inspector Clouseau uh opening up the door and then the guy handing him the bomb. No, it makes me Boom. think Wiley Coyote. That's <laughs> okay, what I yeah. think of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's true. That's another so. good one. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Boom has designed the Overture, which is still in development, as a single-aisle business-class plane, which seats laid out in a with the seats laid out in a one-one configuration. With the new funding from the Air Force, Boom plans to explore ways to customize the plane, both inside and out, for government work. Uh, cutting travel times will make it possible for U.S. diplomats and executive leaders to connect more frequently in person, meeting challenges and diffusing potential crises with a personal touch. <laughs> with a personal touch. Uh, Boom founder and CEO Blake Scholl said in a press release. What do you think? think this is something that's actually has the potential to actually happen? I don't know. I, uh, uh, it's, I mean, it's a possibility and you know, that, that, uh, that money, that budget has to be spent somewhere and somehow. So, uh, you know, but you know, yeah, I, I, you know, eight times out of 10, these, I guess, projects don't go past the research phase. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, it'd be interesting because I mean, it's, it's, I tell you, it's, the, this is the only time really that we've taken a step back in aviation after, after Concord stopped flying. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's been what 2003 that I think it stopped flying, something like that. I don't so recall been, exactly when, but around that. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's been a long, long time since. Um, yeah, it's about time we uh, start getting going forward with this uh, supersonic travel exactly. or hypersonic. I guess even, it just maybe. depends on you know the actual need for it. You know, is there a need to right travel supersonic to far and, off distances? And how much for, it's going to cost to do leaders. it? Well, right? cost to do it. Um, you know, it's funny um, putting political stuff and government stuff aside, which there's probably more need to be um, attending in-person meetings and things like that. The mm -hmm. rest of the world is kind of going the other direction, especially now exactly. with the coronavirus where, yeah. oh, hey, I don't really have to be there in person. I can just do this on, uh, you know, over right. the And that's a lot faster. Video chat. Yeah. It's exactly. instantaneous. Yeah. It's the speed of light. Zoom. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's a good title there. That is a good title. From like boom it. to zoom. Write Catchy. that down, Liz. <laughs> I got it. Nice. She's Catchy. already on it. She's on it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Rick. You got it. All right. Anything else to say about this? No, it looks cool. Uh, yeah, it looks cool. We'll looks yeah? cool. But uh, I'd, I'd like to see it, but uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. All right. Moving along to feedback, and we're going to start with uh, 17, which is the normal place that we always start. We always start with 17, not one. 
Uh, let's see. This is from Glaucus, which I'm pretty sure we're pronouncing correctly. Um, he says, hi, crew. Hope you are all well. This is for Miami Rick. We used to say that people's chat was near the water cooler. If planes could talk, where would they do it? At the cargo terminal, of course. Now, I guess that means I have to uh, kind of share my screen so everybody can see this little picture that he sent in, because otherwise it's not going to really make a lot of sense. So here we go. Share. Okay. There we go. Um, there are a couple of uh, 747 freighters. Uh, with uh, One says um, Acme Giant, and the other says Polar. And they appear to be talking to each other and smiling and laughing. And then there's some Spanish. No, it's uh, it's Portuguese. Oh, Portuguese. Says, okay. You know, Can you basically read? Basically, it says, yeah, it says, I don't know what they're talking about, but it must be funny. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, okay, thank you. No, I could have done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just, they just saw, they just Something saw about a conversation. By, so, yeah. Estelle conversando. Okay, I got that. Yeah. Uh, mas yeah, yeah, there you go. So uh, anybody that uh, Nelson is he in the chat room? <laughs> we need yeah. Nelson. He knows Portuguese. Oh well. Uh, Very nice. But, oh, there we go. Translation right there. <laughs> oh, really? Where? Right underneath the picture. Oh. Underneath. <laughs> it's it's, it's literally written right there. Ah. <laughs> There you go. I should have scrolled down a little bit more. There you go. Uh, don't. Oh, I see. That's why you said don't know what they're talking about, but it must be. I see. I thought that was from you, not the translation. No, no, no that's, that that's was what. That's that was for me. But I, then I see that's uh, what the translation is. Like, well, I, I guess I, uh, I'm, I'm above fifty percent. There you are. Ding. Ding. Uh, okay. <laughs> wait. Wait. I'm trying to find my bell. It's, uh, here we go. Yeah. Nice. Um. So, uh, Glaucus, uh, aka G Man, says, "Miami Rick, please reach out." Next time you're in Sydney, drinks are on me. So, hey, if you're thirsty, Rick, get in touch yeah. with Glaucus. I tell you what, you can bake me a cake with a file in it, I'll break out. <laughs> get out of there. There you go. Maybe in uh, post-COVID, uh, that yeah, would work hopefully. out better. All right. Well, thank you, Glaucus, for sending that in. And I do apologize for screwing that up. Um, but that's pretty much normal for me. Uh, 18. Uh, this is JJ from AVL. So JJ from Asheville, hope you're all doing well. I just wanted to share what I saw when I was doing some paperwork in one of Acme's B717s. And uh, so he has a picture here of the uh, control yoke placard. And interestingly, I think I may have mentioned it on the last show, that the placard here doesn't say B717. It says MD95. Hence, my movement to basically say that the mad dogs are not dead they're still flying and i'm going to fly one of them i'm going to start training on it in a couple of weeks the md95 although somebody scratched out md95 and put in dc9 neo for <laughs> new engine option it's very nice those Probably. weights are really low compared to what i was flying before but hey it's a smaller airplane what can i say yeah me too yeah, for you especially. Mm -hmm. I think you've probably carried more fuel than the max say, weight it's of the. Probably not uh, even a fuel weight. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It doesn't yeah, matter. Uh, 
my, uh, my my fuel for the flat today was 127,000 pounds. There you go, which <laughs> just, is greater. Just, just than, the fuel. Greater than the uh, max taxi weight. Yeah, the max taxi the, weight's uh, 122 on this. <laughs> uh, also for Miami Rick, do you have any suggestions for becoming an AMP? I was hoping to become a pilot, but my medical has been rescinded. I have done some research, but I was wondering what, if anything, I need to know. Well, the AMP, it's, it's, it's a good way to go, but, um, I'll tell you the way I got my AMP was, um, actually back in high school, um, back in Miami, um, starting in 10th grade. Um, if you had, uh, the grades, um, you could, uh, apply for a vocational school, vocational training, and, uh, you could either go to AMP school and there were a couple of other vocational schools that you could apply to other programs that you could, you could apply to. Now, obviously, the one I want was aviation. So um, uh, I I actually got um, half of my airframe power plant certificate through through just high school, really. So uh, and I, I saw went, the I place that he got it actually right there yeah. next to the Miami International Airport. Yeah, it's right at the uh, right at the end of uh, runway uh, threshold of runway uh, two, two or eight right six left or threshold of two six left. Yeah. Yeah, back in the day, that used to be uh, two seven right. Oh, before they before they had yeah, those south the, runways. Before that, exactly. So that used to be two seven right. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's where I went, and, and it worked out perfectly because I, uh, I, uh, I, I used to go to high school in the morning from seven to about lunchtime, you know, eleven thirty, and then uh, they would uh, they would take us on a on a, just a school bus over to to uh, um, uh, the A and P school there at the airport, and. Uh, go there from about noon to two thirty uh every day and it was great um because after that i would uh i would i would go uh, monday wednesdays and fridays i had an internship across the street at the uh, miami data aviation department um working at uh, airside operations and then tuesdays and thursdays i used to go to community college um to uh work on college credits so i mean it it, it worked out perfectly uh, the uh the, the college campus was right on the airport as well so so obviously jj from Asheville can't do that yeah, yeah, but I mean the thing. Well, what, well, I'm sorry. What I was getting to. I'm sorry. I got a little sidetracked there. What oh, I was no going. What, what I was getting at here is that uh, you know, AMP is, is 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 a good way to go. I don't know what kind of schools are available in your area. Um, I know for certain. Um, a friend of a friend did their AMP down in Greenville, Spartanburg, at one okay. of the community colleges, and that's not terribly far from Asheville. I don't know if anything in Asheville has a program, but. That's like an hour drive. It's not far. No. Yeah. And well, and, and the program itself, it's, uh, it's broken up. And, um, so before you get to the airframe and power plant part of it, you go through what's called general. So you just, your general aviation knowledge type stuff. Um, and then you'll, you'll, you'll break off to, uh, airframe one and airframe two, and then power plant one and power plant two, obviously airframe one being the most, you know, the, the more basic stuff. Um, uh, sheet metal work, uh, composite work, stuff like that, and then airframe too. As uh, you get into the uh, into the into the systems, the more more complicated type stuff. The same thing with PowerPoint one and PowerPoint two, and then just like any other FA certificate, you go through a uh, an oral, a practical exam, and a written exam. So, um, but if you have a, a little bit of extra money on the side, can't you um, contact one of the um, inspectors and give them a bribe? 
Yeah, you can, but you just don't get caught. <laughs> we talked about so, uh, when was that? that was I remember that. That back. was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, that was I remember that. One. Maybe that was even last year. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, was actually one that long. Yeah, I remember that. No, yeah. it's probably since March. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've lost track of time. Uh, it's 2020. It's was all it 2020? irrelevant. Uh, still, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, anything to for him to do uh, to like prep for it, or not really? I guess. Uh, I mean, you can, uh, there's, I mean, every, everything is online too, but mm-hmm. back when I, when I was preparing for it, uh, prepping for it, there was, you know, there was basically no internet, no, 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 big, no Amazon, big, none like, of that stuff. Books so with had to, practice tests and that kind so of thing. So I used to go to, uh, I used to go to, uh, I used to go to Barnes and Noble and just sit there and just, you know, read and read and read and read and read. Uh, what? But now you, didn't, every, you didn't buy these things? I couldn't. I was a broke student. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, as long as you buy like you know something from the coffee shop or the store, yeah, right? Like you're good to go for uh, hours. Just sit uh, down in a cup of water and a straw. <laughs> <laughs> that made me worthy. <laughs> so, you need to go uh, back to that place. Oh, never mind. They're no no longer in business. Oh, I wonder why. No one. Yeah, exactly. It's all my fault. <laughs> And so, mine too. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time in yeah. one in, uh, in Waikiki. Barnes Noble is still in business, isn't it? <laughs> no, there's, there's still a few. Still Are they? Oh, okay. Yeah, Barnes yeah. Noble is. Yeah, oh, Borders. Is that the one that's borders out of business? Is out of, uh, yeah. Borders sorry. is out of business. Borders. They both start yeah. with a B. I'm sorry. I, I yeah. can't keep track exactly. of these things. Sorry. But uh, but now as I was saying there's you know everything everything's online and a lot of these a lot of these books are actually uh, online for free and PDF format. So all you have to do is really just look up what you want and um, just um, uh, any book on just 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 Google um, airframe airframe and power plant uh, textbooks and um, I mean you'll 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 you know you'll find stuff all over the place and it's a lot of it's for free on pdf format so you just download it and just read up on that so and it's uh, a great job and it's you know i I think they pay pretty well as well oh yeah it's a Mm -hmm. great job it's very rewarding it's uh it's it's uh it's hard work but it's good work it's uh you know it's it's good stuff yeah and it's one of those things you know if you're in the if if it's financially feasible for you right now just school work wise i'd say just jump into it get started you know that's the best way to Move forward with things, and you can yeah, be absolutely. just like Steph and have uh, get uh, dirt and grease under your fingernails. I've been working on trying to get it out from under my fingernails, but it's not, <laughs> not working. Well, why do you have dirt and stuff underneath your fingernails, Steph? So I was not playing A and P mechanic today. I was no? um, <clears throat> working on putting the um, all the parts back on the Jeep that I had removed back in like June. So doors, hard top, taking off the soft top. Um, like all the stuff that most people have on their dirty. Jeep that you took off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why would you want to keep that on during the summer? It's... I don't know. But, but anyway, that's due to the aforementioned uh, significant rainfall we're expecting tomorrow. Yes. Needed to um, have a vehicle that's a little more watertight. You know, what I would have done is I would have just left left it how it was and just drive around with an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> I There were a few times during the summer I could have used an umbrella while driving. Um <laughs> But it was a little warmer. Tomorrow's not going to be very warm, so that didn't yeah, seem very no, pleasant. No. Yeah. It's cold and rain. Yeah. All right. Let's keep moving. We only have 10 minutes left. What? Really? Well, well. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Thank you, uh, JJ from Asheville. Hope that helped. Um, 16, Becky uh, says, hello. It's the PT for pelvic floors again. Huh? Yes. 
You don't uh, remember that? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh, she uh, is a, uh, what do they call it? A, um, what's the PT? Physio. Physical therapist. Physical therapist for pelvic floors. Yeah, we had the little issue about uh, urination urgency. Yeah, or someone something. asked about that, and I, I quoted some very old and I thought it was a great, so great thing that you said. and uh, But apparently no, Becky it was, said, it was not eh, no. Uh, I'm sure you explained ETOPS before. Is there a way I can search the archive for a topic? Any chance you would explain again with or without rickets? Well, there's no way that we can explain it again without rickets. Uh, here, let me uh, make sure that we uh, play that uh, right there. Cue them up. Yep. Nah, this okay. is, we'll, we'll try to make this real, really simple. So any uh, ETOP stands for um, Extended Twin Engine Operations. Basically what that means is that um, anytime, anytime you fly further than 60 minutes or an hour away from a, an airport on two engines that puts you in ETOPS, um, territory. Um, as long as you're flying so in order for you to fly in ETOPS, uh, airspace, you need to have, oh, the crew has to be qualified and the airplane has to be, uh, certified to fly ETOPS. And by being certified, that means that the airplane has to have, uh, not only the normal systems to operate from point A to point B, but it needs to have a certain level of uh, system redundancy in case of uh, you know issues or failures on route. For example, uh, you need to have an extra um, uh, source of uh, uh, electrical uh, generation power, power, uh, power generation. Uh, you need to have. Uh, uh, an extra set of or or enhanced uh, firefighting capability you need to have. So th- these are the kinds of things that make you legal to fly over extended um, uh, expanses, and not not necessarily water, because there's I've flown ETOPS over land. You know when you fly, um, when you fly over um, uh, north to south over Africa, you oh, go hours and not hours, a lot hours, of, a lot of with, places with to go. Right. Exactly, because ETOPS is defined by what's called um, uh, uh, adequate airports. So airports that have the navigational facilities to uh, bring you in uh, to a certain height over the runway, be able to see and land safely, and also the facilities to accommodate the type of the size of aircraft that you're flying in, and also the uh, emergency equipment required to uh, be there for you if you need uh, said emergency equipment. So there's a couple of things. So it's not only the airplane; it's also the airport hmm. um, that uh, that defines what ETOPS airspace is. So that's basically what ETOPS is. Anytime you're further than an hour away from a, from a suitable airport, that puts you in ETOPS. Now okay. there's different categories of ETOPS. Uh, there's uh, uh, 120 minute ETOPS, which basically means two hours away from a suitable airport. 180 minute ETOPS, which is three hours, which is the most common type, and it goes all the way up to um, uh, 300 minute ETOPS, which is basically um, five hours. Uh, our triple wow. sevens uh, used to have a uh, uh, 300 minute ETOPS. Basically, when you think about it, uh, being you know the closest airport to being able to divert to being five hours away is a long, long ways away. And that's a testament to the, to the, uh, really the, the engines and the systems and how advanced these aircraft are. Wow. Um, uh, oftentimes, um, uh, it, it, it used to, it when, when ETOPS first started, it used to be that, that it was only for, for, for twin engine operations, but you really do also on, on the 747 fly, for example, ETOPS as well, because, uh, now your ETOPS, 
um, I guess endurance is based on your, as I said, your firefighting capability. So how long can you hold, out, hold uh, a fire off before you're able to divert and land and not have that fire, you know, consume the aircraft? Which is very so, um, crit- critical for uh, freight operations, right? Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. So, um, so that's basically what ETOPS is. Anytime you're more than an hour away, you're in ETOPS airspace. Wow. Hey, if you want to um, hear more about ETOPS and maybe listen to a couple of dispatchers talk about it from their perspective, I think the most recent, uh, Hillel just reminded me that the most recent Flying in Life podcast was all about ETOPS. Yeah, so the dispatchers are the, the ones that really on that. Yeah, are focused on that kind of stuff because when they, they, they're they kind of tasked with uh, planning flights and they know all the rules regarding all that kind of stuff. What, are they, what does Mike call uh, ETOPS? Um, engine turning... Engines or turn or people swim or people or swim. swim. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's really interesting that you say that uh, the, you know, the dispatchers, cause they, they, they play a huge part in all this. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's really, it's really 50, 50 up there because, uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting having done an ETOPS flight myself today from Tokyo down here to Sydney. Um, it's, um, it's kind of, it's, it's a very well choreographed dance really, um, where, uh, the ETOPS points are defined by a, um, on your flight plan by uh, longitude and latitude points along your track of flight. And usually, uh, no, not usually, every time those points coincide with your engine out speed, which for the 767 is uh, 442 nautical miles per hour. So that's that's your engine out speed. So what we'll do for reference is we'll... Uh, will enter those uh, those ETOPS points, and basically those ETOPS points will define the ETOPS airspace, so the 60-minute the, the away from the suitable airport. So well, we'll, we'll put those points along the, tra- along the route there, and I will, uh, using the fixed page in my flight management system, I will draw 442-mile rings uh, from the one airport on the, you know, on, 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 on this side, on the, on the near side of the route, and 442-mile ring on the far side of the route, and those two rings will define the ETOPS airspace itself. And that's good for situational awareness because um, you get to what's called an ETP, which is the equal time point between the entry and the exit point along your ETOPS uh, airspace. And that ETP is very, very important because um, if anything happens up until your ETP, you need to return to the airport that's behind you. Mm-hmm. If anything happens after your ETP, you go to Keep the airport going. that's ahead of you. And that, and the interesting thing about that ETP is that that ETP is not in the geographic middle point between the entry and the exit because that ETP really takes into account the wind because you might have a very strong tailwind, um, which is what what that is going to do is going to move the equal time point because it's equal time, not equal distance. Equal time mm-hmm. point is going to move that equal time point closer to your to your origin airport. Because if you have to come back, you're going to be fighting a headwind. So that ETP needs to be closer to your origin airport, the origin uh, um, uh, ETOPS airport. So it's so that's that's basically it. ETOPS, 60 minutes or, or longer. That's what ETOPS means. I, I just wanted to mention uh, before we move on uh, that Becky did uh, send a link to an article from simpleflying.com about why a Boeing 777 once flew Hong Kong to London the wrong way around. And I think it was basically to kind of show off the uh, 777-200LRs, impressive performance and range. And uh, so if you want to read about that and other stuff about ETOPS, uh, please check out the show notes. We're going to move to 
number eight, uh, our last piece of feedback before we end up part two of episode 443 today. This is from Jacob, and he says, So, from someone who exclusively listens to the audio-only podcast, uh, you sure do say, quote, I'll edit this in post a lot. <laughs> I do. Guilty. I'm starting to think, have you ever have you ever edited this in post? Or am I just hearing the odd few whoopsies that make it through to the audio podcast? And if you don't actually edit this in post, does this affect your 50% average you're shooting for? Anyway, all the best. And this is, uh, again, from Jacob from uh, Down Under, I believe. Isn't he from Australia? I think he is. Uh, he goes on to say something about Foster's beard, Oh, he does, so, yes. Oh, uh, by the way, my mm-hmm. apologies for not replying to Nick's retort about Foster's beer. I was too busy laughing at Captain Jeff's attempt to pronounce the names of the Aussie towns I included in my original email that by the time I finally stopped laughing, episode four... Wait a minute, that's not That's, that's not, not funny. funny. Episode 440 was published... And more pressing questions had to be asked. (laughs) It's all right. Nick's not here to defend himself again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kind of butchered a lot of those names, but uh, that was the whole point of him including them, obviously. Uh, So, uh, so that's right. You read the names. Nick just did the (laughs) retort. Yeah, I I tried, but you know, I I got about 50% of them, I think. Ding. Oh, shoot. Okay. Um, here we go. So, don't worry. It'll all be compressed in the final product, which brings us to his question yeah. about editing in post. I really actually do edit a lot of stuff in post and try to tighten it, especially for the um, audio-only podcast. I try to tighten things up, but I have to admit, lately... I've been including a lot of stuff that I normally would have maybe a uh, months ago or years ago completely cut out and edited in post. But when I'm editing, I have to be honest, I have I laugh out loud at some of the stuff that we do or some of the stuff that I say that's just ridiculous. And we laugh. And, and so I'm thinking, you know, I think it's kind of unfair that the people that are listening to the audio only don't get a chance to experience that. So too over sterile. time, huh? it's too sterile. If yeah, you it's too it sterile. Out. So over time, I've kind of, you know, included more of the stuff that, uh, yeah, it's not so professional. <laughs> so I, I, you could leave in a teaser every once in a while, just to encourage them to come and join the live broadcast. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. That's, that's exactly right. That's why I do it. Maybe. And you know what? I, and I like that too. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit more organic. It uh, more, uh, I guess, uh, more more personal. It uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, that's I, what I, I love about that. podcasting is the fact that it's not a professional slick radio program. It's like these are people like just like me that are like in front of a microphone and uh, are sharing their knowledge and experience. And you know, we're not perfect, and we make mistakes. And uh, oh, yes. So I think it's kind of fun sometimes. Liz is is laughing in the background um, a lot. She just knows how perfect we actually yeah, are. She knows the the truth to all of this. <laughs> and now she's shaking her head <laughs> very emphatically. Yeah, Liz says she's the most perfectivist of all. <laughs> that is true, actually. So uh, so yeah, I do. 
I, I don't fix as much in post as I used to, and mainly because I think a big part of what we do here on the APG is try to give you a show that is sometimes sort of informative, but mostly entertaining. And uh, I think that if I, if I cut out too much of the, the blunders and mistakes, then it's not as entertaining as it could be. It's going to feel like a college lecture. You know, what, no, ain't nobody got time for that. No. Really? Now, Jen makes a good point that not everyone can join in the live broadcast. So much. That's true as well. Insinuating that. But I don't think really anything gets cut out of the YouTube. No. So replay. whether you're here for the live or not, the YouTube is always available and it's always included in the show notes, by the way. And, oh, I should mention also, I've had people say, well, you know, when I, when I watch the video uh, playback, you know, you guys don't start the show sometimes until like a half an hour into the thing. And uh, maybe you should start it from right from the point where you're actually recording the show. And I replied that, well, I think that a lot of the folks that listen to our show enjoy our little pre-show banter. banter. And I also always include in the video, um, in the, in the uh, what, description, I think, um, where the show start time is, and there's a there's a time code there that you can click on, and it'll take you right to the point where we attempt at least our first attempt at recording the show. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a few a few takes before we actually get going on the real show, but um, yeah, so it's it's there for you have yeah you have you have options uh, if you want to hear the whole. Thing, then you can start from the beginning. If you want to go right to the point where we record, you can hit that time code. And then um, if you uh, want to really dial in to the things that you want to listen to and the things that you don't want to listen to, you might be somebody who says, you know what, I don't care about you all and your private lives, which is which makes me sad, actually, to think about. But, uh, you know, you can skip the getting to know us portion of the show if you're listening to the audio pack podcast, because we have these chapter markers and stuff and you can just go right to whatever you think might be interesting to hear us talk about so we try to make it as user-friendly as possible so tell Hillel to get in the bathroom he's in the chat room tell him to go to the bathroom okay Hillel I see that you're in the live audience and I need you to get over to the bathroom and uh, so we're going to give him a couple seconds to do that while I uh, yeah so um, thank you everyone for Listening to the show, downloading it, um, you know, many, many different ways to consume our content. And uh, everybody has their preferred way to do it. And uh, we do appreciate the fact that anybody is listening. And uh, we also really appreciate the fact that many of you who are listening uh, get value from it and uh, give us value back. So that's our value to value proposition as far as funding. No advertising here. And uh, so we, I don't I don't want to put you through listening to ads because I don't like listening to podcasts that have ads actually. So with that, uh, let's move over to well before we go over to Hillel because he's going to have time to get into the shower. Um, we're going to talk about the website that we have that you can learn more about the show and the uh, the crew and the community, which is the most important thing. And I'm not just saying that. Um, the library, uh, our librarian, oops, sorry, uh, Tiffany takes care of that for us. Thank you, Tiffany. Um, we have information about uh, the coffee fund 
and uh, merchandise. And we also have a separate Plain Tales page where Nick, even though he puts in a lot of work to the audio Plain Tales, he also goes back in after the fact and puts in a lot more information, text and photos and everything else. And there's a separate uh, Plain Tale page for that on our website and much, much more. And we're also, I mean, you have to be these days, right? On the social medias, or the social medias, as we like to call Gotta it. Got to be on the social medias. Yeah. I mean, if you're not there, what are you even doing? I don't so know. So check us out on Twitter. We're at APG Crew. Uh, we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash airline pilot guy. And I may have shared Nick's most recent uh, artwork for one of the shows on uh, the Instagram, where we're also at AP, or APG Crew. So... Um, if you're not there, you should be. Hope to see you there soon. And that about sums it up for the social medias. Doesn't he always put that stuff up himself? Or you you were always the one that puts it on there? No, he puts it up, but I try okay. to put it onto the... He doesn't put it on the APG crew page. I don't think he actually has ah, the login. Okay. That's always uh, really interesting. Um, so I guess we can kind of go to the uh, quasi-social medias thing that we have called Slack. And uh, let's see. Let me turn up the... Um, fader for the uh, hidden microphone in the in the shower don't anybody tell him that we have a microphone in hey hello time for slack slack okay but i'm dripping wet yeah okay apg listeners please join us on our slack team slack is a communication coordination and sharing platform that works on your mobile laptop or browser on Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you very much, Hillel, and... Uh, I'm social distancing! What? Uh, okay, sorry. We're all trying to do that. Um, yeah. So, so responsible. He, so is very, very, he is a very, very serious and responsible guy. Model citizen. <laughs> yes. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, oh, a big round of applause to our producer-director, Liz, in Canada... Toronto, to be exact. So thank you, Liz, for doing all you can to try to make us look and sound like we know what we're talking about. I know it's kind of a difficult job. And finally, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. All right. We all will see you next time. Take care. day.
I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy I fly Airline, how guy He can 